I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back here with Sam Monson. We are continuing our season preview series going out west to the AFC West and the NFC West. But of course, we're going to start each show at least touching on the big news, Sam. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that's happened since last Thursday. Yeah, a lot of big news. And we'll hit it on the, we'll, we'll touch on it here and then well, expand upon it. The first thing is football happened. It. Like actual a yeah, game yeah. happened. Okay, it was the Hall of Fame game. So, but we had takeaways. There were legitimate takeaways from the Hall of Fame game, all part of the PFF Daily from Friday. Exactly. So, if you want to hear our reaction to the actual football that was played, go to the PFF NFL Daily. Subscribe, like, and listen. Um, yeah, there was actual interesting things to take from that game beyond just who played well, who didn't, all those kinds of things. We covered that in the Daily. Um, I think we will also cover. Josh Allen's contract, monster extension, the first of those big 2018 quarterbacks, him, Baker Mayfield, um, Lamar Jackson, who are all set to get that big contract. Josh Allen just got a monster deal, six years, uh, $240 million or something, monster amount of guaranteed cash. We will cover that on the daily uh, because if we spend all day doing that here, this podcast will be nine hours long. So sum it up in a one-word answer. Will the Buffalo Bills regret doing this contract at some point? Sometimes. What? Yes, at some point. Okay, yes is your answer. But other years... It's a one-word answer, Steve. Yes is your answer. Yeah, but the way you worded it makes me seem, <laughs> seem like it's going to be six years of regret. Right. That Anytime you pay a quarterback 40 to $50 million, there will be a year or two where it feels regrettable. Overall, it's going to be good. Good job, Bills. I will say they will not regret this contract. Oh, no regrets whatsoever. No. Therefore, painting you into the Josh Allen. Do you the think Josh they got Allen. the no regrets uh, tattoo? Uh, no. Okay. But that, therefore, continues my, my strategy of painting you into the Josh Allen hater bucket <laughs> well here whilst I may maintain the good side of Bill's Mafia. Other stuff that's happened. The Miami Dolphins lock up Xavier Howard further than they've already locked him up. They, they redid yeah. a deal with... with Moved his money around. Left. Made him happy. Yeah. They... Look, they kept, they kept the secondary right. in place. Darius Leonard uh, reset the linebacker market once again. Yeah. The uh, only comment I have on that one is the Colts are going to have the most insanely comprised roster ever. They're like throwing all the money at the positions that mean nothing, almost. Like the least important positions in terms of moving the needle for winning games is where the Colts are assembling all of their money. Yeah, I think if you know you have elite players there, though, like, again, Quentin Nelson's been the most valuable player uh, along the offensive yeah. line. So if you know you have that, I think there, there's an advantage there, potentially. I'm not sure as much at linebacker with a Darius I don't Leonard. know if it's an but I think what they're doing is essentially saying, okay, we understand that in an ideal world, these are the positions you want to target, and this is where you want to get good. But I think what they're essentially doing is saying, if we nail really good, if we're good at talent evaluation, we are, it's worth paying these guys, and then... 
focusing elsewhere. Um, I don't know how sustainable that is long-term. Generally speaking, anytime a team starts to buy into their own hype in terms of their ability to evaluate talent is right around the time the wheels start to fall off the whole thing. But so far, the Colts have been doing a good job at that. This is this is the pivot point. Like, will that come back to bite them in the ass if they believe that's a long-term solution? Most valuable linebackers in the NFL since 2018, since Darius Leonard's rookie season. He is seventh. Uh, Bobby Wagner is actually second on a per-year basis. It's Demario Davis coming in first, just yeah. using uh, wins above replacement. So um, we'll see what happens with the Colts. But yeah, having the money locked up in a bunch of offensive linemen and linebacker, perhaps that's its own daily Colts roster construction. We've done a lot of Colts stuff on the daily. Um, and then uh, the, the other surprising news this weekend, Jaguars 2020 first rounder. That's right. He was a rookie last year. CJ Henderson, cornerback. Um, Jaguars basically saying he's available via trade. And he was uh, the better of their two first round picks last year. He was. Caleb on chase on was the other one. He got off to a very slow start rushing the passer last season. CJ Henderson, a guy. Um, let's think back really quickly to that draft. It was CJ Henderson, Jeffrey Akuda. Uh, AJ Terrell was in there. I mean, there's all sorts of almost all of whom got lit up, torched as a rookie. So, like he remember like his first game, he looked really good. Had a, a couple of plays, and then it's like, oh wow, CJ Henderson's making the Jags look good, taking the athletic guy that hadn't necessarily played up to that hype. A lot of people loved him, and then it tailed off pretty quickly, and he didn't play that well for the rest of the season. But all the rookie corners essentially got lit on fire last year. That was just the, the state of the league. So I don't think you can look at how he played and be like, well, there's no way he can play well in the NFL going forward because you would write off every one of those rookie corners, essentially. Um, but what's interesting is like they've paid the bulk of his money because of the way rookie contracts work. So if they are getting rid of him, I mean, somebody tweeted out like, wow, think how well the combination of Shaquille Griffin, Tyson Campbell, Sidney Jones must be playing in camp for them to think that CJ Henderson is expendable. Sure, that's one way of looking at it. The other would be, think how catastrophically CJ Henderson is playing that they're like, you know what? We've paid most of his money. It's incredibly cheap for us to keep him. And he is a top half of the first round talent, yet I don't want him on the roster See, anymore. I, I don't know if it's just that in training camp. I just wonder how much it is Urban Meyer and his entire staff coming in. And even though the people but even that so, like drafted the, Henderson are still there, maybe right. the new staff just never really liked CJ Henderson. But even if you didn't, like the motivation in terms of value and money and like the cost benefit, it's just it, it's so slanted towards keeping him. Right. You must really hate the dude if you want him out of there. Now, maybe they don't like him as a like don't like him as a person don't think he has a good attitude don't, don't doesn't don't think he works hard i have no idea but those would be things that would explain wanting him the hell out of the door regardless of the fact that like it's cheap and, and beneficial to keep him see, see i think it was a prior evaluation in part because of how the jaguars uh, executed things in the offseason they brought in shaquille griffin to play outside corner they drafted tyson campbell a big long corner who they said oh yeah he'll He'll play in the slot, but he's better on the outside. So I do think um, this may have been in the works for a while. C.J. Henderson, 57.9 PFF grade last year. And, of course, you can check out how all the rookie cornerbacks did if you have PFF elite. Potential and steal if the Cardinals get on the phone who have that big glaring need as a cornerback and could easily fill that with him. Cardinals, Jets, uh, Cowboys, Saints. All teams that come to mind. Saints probably not because they just signed a Mukamara, which 
probably covers they them did for sign starting. Prince, who I like. They signed I a always, couple of guys. Yeah. Prince is the one that's probably going to make an impact there. The so Saints would, have actually made some pretty good. I would say for, they're out, but the other ones, sure. For early training camp, the Saints have brought in some some interesting players. Uh, but yeah, those teams you mentioned, those teams absolutely in the mix. Again, if you want all those grades, you're, I was in the middle of uh, pushing. I know, I know, I know. Flash go, 25 go, sale. Go. Um, right now, it's August 9th. We're recording on Monday. If you're listening to this as late as August 10th on Tuesday, you still have an opportunity to get into that Flash 25 sale, Flash 2.5. If you're listening after the 10th, who knows? Maybe it'll still be active. So try it anyway. 25% off any PFF subscription. Promo code is Flash 25, Flash 2.5. Actually, it tells me it's, it's done today, August 9th. So better hurry up. And go and get it. It was a flash sale. You can get all of our PFF fantasy tools for just $7.50 if you work things the right way. Flash 2.5 is the sale. All right. So we'll hit on some of those other topics on the daily this week. Don't forget, this is our this is the big show. The PFF Daily is our daily show, hence the name. Mm, so go and subscribe that to that as well if you have not already. That's where we have the ability to go a little bit more long form on things like the Josh Allen contract. But this show, AFC West and NFC West, this is for all the people, all the fans of teams out West that are saying, well, PFF started with the East again, so we've got to wait three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Right? A lot of Eeyores around there. Huh. Eeyore. <laughs> You're such an old man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Winnie the Pooh's not uh, not hip and relevant these days? No, I don't think so. That'll be 40 next so. year. So, yeah. Yeah. Give me a pass. Um, we're going to go to the West, yeah. AFC and NFC. You had something to say? I no. You you're pandering to the Western people while still maintaining an Eastern bias. It's quite spectacular. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, the East pays the bills, but after that, it's like tied across the board. So we'll just throw a bone to the West. I see. That's yeah. how I would break it down. Okay. All I know is the South is going to be last this year. Fair enough. This, this time, I think the South is coming in last. All right. I don't know. Just how it is. Carry on. Sorry, Jaguars, Titans, Texans fans. Your podcast is last in this breakdown. I think this is how we did it around the draft, too. We did East, then West. It was equally insane then. So let's go AFC West. Start in, in out of order, too. It's the oh, order God. I typed into the document. So AFC champion, Kansas City Chiefs. They're okay. first. They're first in our breakdown. Do you have a timer on? Yeah. All right. How many minutes per team? Uh, well, if we want to keep this under two hours, which we didn't last time. 12 minutes per team. Let's Pretty say. much. Yeah. Let's go 12 minutes per team. We're already, already minute 30 in. 40 wasted 90 seconds of a talk All right. in order. Let's go. Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, we ranked them seventh in our offensive line rankings. Let's just remind the people the sour taste of the Super Bowl is not what the Chiefs are. They are not a team that has this, you know, Patrick Mahomes has not been overcoming this horrible offensive line for three years. They've always had a good offensive line, and they pretty much spent their entire offseason ensuring that they will have a good offensive line going forward i think that is the big story we'll have to touch on their defense as well but starting offensively what are your expectations for the chiefs yeah what how are we doing this we were like biggest question mark right that biggest was question biggest mark and so my biggest for optimism when things go right what's my biggest like? question mark for the chiefs is probably what it's going to be every single year which is just depth right the chiefs starting group is pretty good and they're good in in more or less the right areas they spent their entire offseason ensuring that that offensive line stayed together or not stay together that they stayed at the same kind of level that has maintained a good enough group in front of Patrick Mahomes allows him to do everything that he does I think there's a question about how well the group will gel immediately just because they're effectively starting five a whole new offensive line generally speaking that doesn't go smoothly but 
it's like how unsmoothly can it go? You know what I mean? Like those are the, the collection of talent there, the sum of their parts, even if they don't exceed the sum of their parts, is good enough that the offensive line will be fine because Mahomes is a magician and he doesn't need a good offensive line. He just needs it not to be a disaster the way it was in the Super Bowl. Um, the receiving group, the core is fine. Tyreek Hill is a, a superstar. Travis Kelsey is a superstar. It's what happens after that. It's what happens when they have to go into the bench pretty much anywhere. Um, there's just no depth to this group anymore. Like the, the offensive line, the depth is a question. The receiving core, the depth is a question. The defense, the depth is a question. And obviously, anytime you have to turn to Chad Henney at quarterback from Patrick Mahomes. I know they've actually won games with Chad Henney, but that would be a concern. Yeah, I think, you know, with all the, with all the offensive line overhaul, I think the line's going to be fine. Um, right. The great Lucas Niang. Potentially projected to to play at right tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, third round, loved him as a third round developmental pick a couple of years ago. Mike Remmers is still there. Again, Mike Remmers last year filled in for Mitchell Schwartz and played good, solid right tackle. I, I, I don't think the offensive line is a question mark. I, I think they're going to be good. I they think they have fine. stolen Trey Smith in the sixth round. Yeah. Like, you know, heart problem coming out of University of Tennessee. Always, it was he was a potential more of a day two type of pick from a talent standpoint. Um, Austin Blythe looks like he's going to be backing up Creed Humphrey. This could be the the deepest offensive line in the entire NFL. Right. The big question mark for me is just simply target three. It really is. I mean, it's the games. We, we talked about Sammy Watkins a couple shows ago, I believe. Sammy Watkins had those games. Week one, 2019, three touchdowns, 170 yards. Super Bowl, torches Richard Sherman, a couple big big plays there. Sammy Watkins had games where he just showed up. Yep. And you need a third guy to show up beyond Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Now, who are those guys? Well, Demarcus Robinson's back. Ugh. Very inconsistent receiver. I mean, he's a four. He's a... At best. He's a he's a borderline four. Uh, Mecole Hardman, I still think, is the most intriguing one. I, I feel like Chiefs fans are a little underwhelmed with Mecole Hardman, but I think he's been... I don't want to say as advertised, but he was... Uh, he wasn't the most polished receiver coming out. They, they, they bought him essentially as Tyreek Insurance in the second round when Tyreek was going through his off-field stuff. So I think Hardman could be the guy. And then Cornell Powell, who they drafted in the fifth round, will compete. Hardman, like, he, I think his problem is he set the expectations too high by sort of impressing right away. Yeah. Like he came in, flashed some big plays, and then was like, oh, wow, this guy's going to be a superstar when he eventually steps into that extra, st- that other starting role, and he's never really developed beyond that. And I, I don't know that he will. I, I like him as a player. I think he's useful and can definitely be part of this offense. He feels like a four in terms of this is a guy that can come in, do a lot of things for your offense, but if you need him to like start and be a high-volume member of the offense, you're probably going to be disappointed. One guy, I mean, James Washington reportedly asked for a trade after that Hall of Fame game because it's like, okay, ju- in case I needed it, here's evidence that I am, in fact, solidly number four on the depth chart in Pittsburgh, and I don't need that because... I'm going into a contract year, and I need more opportunities than that. So he wants out. If the Chiefs snagged a James Washington, who himself has been a little bit underwhelming, but has size, has athleticism, has got the ability to be a downfield big play threat, like I mean, he's better than Demarcus Robinson immediately, right? And Demarcus Robinson is currently stated to start for the Chiefs. Like I, if I, mean, I don't know what the asking price for James Washington would be, but it's not high. Kansas City should be all over that. I like that a lot as a potential fit. I mean, how did remember this offseason? They were in on Juju Smith Schuster mm-hmm. and a couple other receivers. They were at least contemplating that. How different 
would your feeling be about the Chiefs offense if we weren't saying Mecole Hardman's the third option? He's actually the fourth option yeah. because we do have they just, they're just Juju. missing that second starter. And it doesn't have to be a pure like I, I look at Juju as a possession type. You know, he's had a few big plays in his career, but he's more of a possession type. I think Cornell Powell could develop into that possession type. He gets off the line pretty well. He's a little bit bigger and and, and more physical. But if they just had a one more receiver, yeah. and this is why, listen, the, the listener that threw out Will Fuller plus Ali Villanueva rather than Orlando Brown was fascinating to me. Imagine if Will Fuller was on this team and healthy. But if Will Fuller was on this team, the thing that makes the Chiefs dangerous is a defense is saying, I don't know how to cover everyone. And yeah, they like, should be pursuing that every single year. And this that's my big question is they didn't really do that this year. In particular, what happens if I somehow successfully take away Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey? Because that has been done, right? There's only two of them. It is theoretically possible to take them both out of the game, essentially dissuade Patrick Mahomes from ever targeting those guys. In the past, if you've done that, Sammy Watkins goes off and has a huge game puts up, you know, 12 catches for 150 yards, and it didn't matter that you could take away their two best options. Now, if you do it, is Demarcus Robinson going to have that game? No. Like, even if you take away those two guys and you leave him one-on-one with a nickelback all game, he's not putting up, like, 12 for 150. It's just not going to happen. And we're purposely – we're splitting hairs here because we're talking about the Chiefs, a team that went AFC Championship, Super Bowl Champions – Super Bowl and they're loss. one of the top four contenders this year, right. regardless. But right. this is the biggest question it's, mark. It's splitting hairs because for them to be dominant, I think wide receiver three or target three is crucial. Um, we have gotten questions about why do we um, – go ahead. Okay. Well, the other reason, by the way, is that all of this is – like they make it that far when everybody more or less stays healthy. They haven't yet been badly tested with – like if Travis Kelsey goes down for half the year, what happens? If Tyreek Hill goes down for half the year, what happens, right? Generally speaking, the teams that make it to that final four Super Bowl push, they're more or less the healthiest teams in the NFL. The ones, like what, the depth gets challenged at its most when somebody gets hurt that you weren't anticipating. The Chiefs right now have almost no contingency with that group of receivers. Um, people have asked why we treat Patrick Mahomes differently than say a Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson or whatever other different. insert insert young quarterback here right Patrick Josh Allen as an example remember two grades in the 60s his first two years and then 90 plus last year Mahomes has been essentially an elite quarterback in all three years as a starter we really haven't seen efficiency like his you know that early in, in anyone's career in NFL history um, knowing that even adjusting for era, I mean, it's it's up there, you know, in Marino-like territory. So um, that's why there's there's much more confidence in Patrick Mahomes' performance going forward than there is Josh Allen's, Lamar Jackson's, Baker Mayfield's, Deshaun Watson's, any other quarterback. There's much more confidence based off the three years of work we've seen from him. And also there's almost no flaw to his game. Like you can still point to things that are wrong. You can point to negatives in almost every other quarterback and what they do and how they go about the game. Like Mahomes doesn't take sacks, which is one of the biggest flaws of even elite quarterbacks. Like Rodgers takes too many sacks. Russell Wilson takes too many sacks. Like there's a lot of these guys who, like their biggest, ne- they don't make too many massive mistakes, but they make a bunch of smaller mistakes, which to some degree eats into that. Mahomes doesn't. Like he, I mean, he turns the ball over uh, not a huge amount, but he doesn't take sacks. He doesn't like his. We'll see if the turnover luck reverts back a little bit. He did get a little sure, lucky last year, but his flaws are so small compared to these other guys. And by the way, he's making like freakish plays 
every two minutes that these other guys generally don't make. Let's talk about the defense a little bit. Spags, Spags. defensive coordinator. Spags is back there. Uh, they took a bit of a step back last year. Finished 21st in our defensive grades, 19th in EPA per play allowed. They were actually a little bit better in coverage than than maybe we expected on paper. The pass rush has not been good. Um, to me, that's that big question mark, right? When you look at their defensive grades, it's Chris Jones, who is elite, but it's Frank Clark, who is getting paid like an elite player who has not played very well since joining the Chiefs, despite having some clutch sacks in the uh, Super Bowl run in 2019. One of the biggest steals of the entire draft last year, Legereus Need coming in, playing excellent corner. You talk about all the rookie corners who got torched. Mm -hmm. Legereus Need really wasn't one of those guys. He came in and played some solid football. They need more of those types of players to emerge on the back end to improve this defense. Yeah, and it's amazing sort of how much one of those hits can offset a lot, you know? Like if you somehow stumble into a guy in the mid-rounds who turns out to be your number one corner, wow, can that like make up for a lot that isn't going particularly well or make up for a lot of sort of Frank Clark moves. By the way, we have to be careful with the Frank Clark analysis. This is a man that carries Uzis around in the uh, the truck with him. So. I know. On the day that he got arrested, we were talking about how overpaid he was. Yeah. That's all right. Kansas City's, you know, it's a, it's a way away, and I don't know if he can travel outside of the state at the moment. But That's true. Just saying. That's true. Be careful. Let's let's talk about other players. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we? <laughs> um, anyway, so I think Legereus Need was one of my favorite players coming out of the draft, so right. I was excited to see him play so well. I also think we, we talk every week about Spag's scheme and how he adjusts, and uh, let's turn back the clock again. Mahomes' first year as starter was 2018. The offense was incredible. The Chiefs couldn't stop anybody. The defense has crept back toward average over the last couple of years, and that's what puts them in championship yep. contention. They just need a middle-tier type of unit, but you also want to see players emerge like Willie Gay at linebacker. That's been like this annual problem for the Chiefs. He's already getting some, some good buzz. So as far as um, the question marks, I think it's just better players continuing on the back seven. It's the pass rush beyond Chris Jones. Best-case scenario for the Chiefs is – what, Super Bowl. That stuff happens, yeah. and they're going to win the Super Bowl. <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, obviously, their best case scenario is the they don't get injured, the depth isn't challenged, and therefore they are in the Super Bowl and trying to get another one. Chiefs over under is twelve and a half. Sam, seventeen over. game schedule, twelve and a half. You're going over. Yep. Where, where, uh, where are those? Where's the over under coming from, Steve? Well, of course, it's coming from DraftKings, and they are they're here. They're our new sponsor. We love DraftKings. You're going to be hearing a lot about them. All of our over-unders, game lines, it's all going to be coming from DraftKings. And they want to remind you the college football season is just around the corner. And to celebrate DraftKings Sportsbook, it's America's top-rated sportsbook app. They're now putting out putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. That seems like a pretty mm. easy thing to do. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, located right here in the United States. So it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code PFF to get your free $200 in free bets instantly. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, you must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. I'm back, baby. That's nice. You like that? I didn't even need to. I, I could just tee you up with this. You segue. teed me up for me. And because right? you, you get the timer there and you're like, hey, we're done. We got to move on to the next team. It's beautiful. Uh, just impeccable teamwork. Look, you see that, Austin? 
we say we're only just scratching the surface of professionalism, but that right there is like maybe an, that's an Emmy. Maybe right we're there. there. Maybe 2021. Can somebody send in that clip to the Emmy people? Can we can we get one of those? Yeah, that was just just teamwork. It was well done. But we're losing time on the Denver Broncos. They're our next team in this unorganized list. Broncos, <laughs> one of the most fascinating teams. Biggest in the league, question man. mark. Yeah. I wonder well, what it could be. Uh, I think it might be quarterback, but it's funny. We've spent this whole offseason raving about this Broncos roster and their defense. We, you put them, did you put them as a tier one potential defense? Yes, or, or they have, I think. We discussed them on the PFF Daily actually today as a potential best defense in the league, right? That, yeah. that one of those, I don't want to say long shot, but you just kind of look at the roster. They weren't there last year and you say, okay, this, this is the team that could emerge as the, as the best defense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And their playmakers are great. And the offensive line is reasonable, but man, it's Teddy Bridgewater and it's Drew Locke and even yeah. Brett Rippon all competing for snaps under center yeah yeah i mean that's that kind of the last part tells you all you need to know right if brett rippon is actually like getting meaningful snaps for you in training camp it's not an endorsement of the guys in front of him like you desperately need to find something at quarterback and you're giving brett rippon snaps and remember last year brett rippon got a start like on the thursday night game and i remember this because i it was my favorite music montage that i created and Brett Rippon was just throwing the ball left, right, and center to defenders. And by the end of it, Troy and, and Joe Buck were joking about Thursday night slop. That was oh, what we were right. dealing with here. I forgot you did those montages. Yeah, that was my favorite one. I really great. liked that one. Perfectly, perfect music, perfect sound. And we don't do them anymore because nobody listened to them. Sad. Yeah. Sad though it is, but we dropped them. But that was my favorite one, and Brett Rippon was terrible. And if he's getting snaps for you, your quarterback situation is terrible. He did a lot of good things in that game, too. I think expectations were <laughs> low for a guy who had a decent college career. A really and just, good game other than throwing the ball to the defenders. Uh, up until that point. Uh, on paper, Teddy Bridgewater, even though 66th grade last year and a little bit more careless with the football than we had seen in the past. Remember, it was his first full year as a starter since 2015. First time he was really out there consistently uh turnover worthy play rate of 3.4 percent that's for a game manager type for an alex smith type that's too high because that's his the big problem time, he, had, he had more turnover worthy plays than big time throws but as a distributor of the football that mac jonesy type the alex zone alex, alex smith type this is this yeah. should fit this is teddy's problem is that he isn't actually that careful with the football from what we've seen from him in his nfl career his rookie season he was. He had a 2.2% turnover-worthy play rate. Every other year, essentially, it's been way higher than that. And it's been past the point of being... Like, if you're going to be a game manager, you need to be Alex Smith, which is, I am pathologically conservative. Consequently, I do not turn over the football. And you can work with that. Like, there, it, it's, it's possible now in today's NFL to be hyper-efficient and move the ball and be successful on offense by simply never turning it over. Um, but if you're going to be that guy, i.e. there's an absence of big plays when I'm your quarterback, you can't turn it over. You really can't. And Teddy Bridgewater turns it over more than that, or at least puts it in harm's way more than that. Um, so if you're going to be that guy, you need to claw it back on the other side. You need to bring more big plays to the table. And that's always been Bridgewater's question mark. And early in his career, it was like, well, how much is this him? And how much of this is being trapped in this North Turner offense with – you know, only two receivers in patterns and a bad offensive line. It just sort of forces you into being this check down guy. I, I think the last season or two has kind of answered that, which if, is if look, anything, Norv, if people remember Norv's offense, it is 
vertically centered. I mean, it is right, but that only works routes. if the offensive line functions and the receivers are good. True. If the offensive line is bad, you, you don't have time to wait for those vertical routes to uncover, and you basically get squeezed into becoming a checkdown king, right? Because it's either that or get murdered every play. Um, but the last couple of years, I think, have essentially said, okay, that isn't in Bridgewater. Like, there's no evidence of him airing it out. And last season was as close as he's come. And that massive, that shot is turnover-worthy play rate through the roof. Yeah, and look, he, he also did a good job of taking care of the ball in limited time, 2019, with the Saints. Like, he's, we've seen, we've seen it at points in his career, but it was disappointing last year. The one other thing that happens, too, he probably takes too many sacks for a guy on that part of the spectrum, right? We have super conservative, we have aggressive, and then there's the people that have that that perfect combination. Your elite quarterbacks, obviously, know how to when to take chances. They hit more of them, and they don't put the ball in harm's way. If Bridgewater is going to be even Derek Carr on the more conservative end for the majority of his career, that type of quarterback, you also can't take a lot of sacks. And he, in, in his three years as a starter, he has. He's last year. <clears throat> last year should have played Teddy Bridgewater to the status of career backup. Like. He's had his shots. Wow, officially? He's, yeah, I think so. I, I love Teddy Bridgewater early in his career. I thought he, I mean, obviously he was hard done by in terms of the guy's knee fell apart and he had to put himself back together again. His story's incredible. He seems like a great guy. I thought last season for him was a really great opportunity and he blew it. Um, he didn't play well. It was the worst starting season of his career. And given how he didn't play well, he should be a career backup at this point until somebody in front of him gets hurt and he gets another opportunity to prove that he's a different player than he's shown so far. The problem is that puts Drew Locke front and center. Now, do you th so Drew Locke, for perspective here, had double the big-time throw percentage as Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. And turnover-worthy play percentage, though, was, was also much higher yeah. than Teddy, who we already said was a little careless with the ball for, for our liking based off his skill set. Drew Locke, once again... Drew Locke had a top 10 big-time throw rate last season. Yeah, and 696 dropbacks to mm. his in his career. Does Drew Locke, knowing that, look, there might be some bad decisions in there, the accuracy also isn't even close. Um, not, I don't want to say it's not close, but it's definitely lower than Bridgewater's, less than Bridgewater's. It's not, it's not great. It's not good. Um, does Drew Locke in that – do the Broncos embrace the volatility and say, with Cortland Sutton back, with Judy – Guys, a guy who gets open, a guy who wins at the catch point with the great Tim Patrick, with K.J. Hamler. The reason why we love the Broncos is those four playmakers. Does Drew Locke actually give them a better chance to potentially win? Could could fall apart, could be ugly, but that aggressiveness could play better with that receiving group. The problem they're in is that they've assembled such a good roster that they don't actually need their quarterback to be very good right now. They They're a team that should be kicking themselves. I don't know how much they were sucking in with this Aaron Rodgers saga. Like, remember, draft day, this breaks, that Rodgers wants out, and everybody's like, oh, he's going to Denver. Denver are going to trade for him. <clears throat> their whole offseason makes sense in a, in a heartbeat if Aaron Rodgers becomes their quarterback. And then they draft Patrick Sertan in the first round, which makes even less sense given the, um, the offseason that they had in terms of uh, assembling cornerbacks already. And now everyone's like, oh, it's like a it's a draft and trade deal for Aaron Rodgers. And then the Rodgers thing just disappeared. Maybe I only said that. No, I th there were people, I think, out there. Maybe you were the most you know vocal of the people that got it wrong. But there were definitely people. Um, but they didn't get Rodgers. Maybe we're never likely to get Rodgers. And now you're sitting here with this Drew Locke-Teddy Bridgewater competition. It's like, oh, God. But if Denver had signed Ryan Fitzpatrick the way Washington did, 
Like Fitzpatrick will play well enough that a fantastic roster around him can make the playoffs and be a good team. Now, can the same thing be said for Teddy Bridgewater anymore? I don't know. I don't think so because based off what we've seen. On the other hand, you actually like a, a, a league average quarterback can make that sing. But your alternative is you go with Drew Locke, who could be a league average, who could be a pretty good quarterback or an absolute train wreck and completely undermine the roster around him, but at least has the potential to do something Brid- more than this. Like Bridgewater, if he isn't playing at the, the highest level he can play at, is just dragging the entire roster into obscurity. Bridgewater's safer both in potential outcome and in playing style. I mean, we're talking average depth of target is about two yards different than Drew Locke last yeah. year. You got like one shorter, the highest in Drew Locke, yeah, versus somewhere one of the lowest, yeah. in Bridgewater. So Teddy Bridgewater safer in two different ways. Drew Locke more volatile in two different ways. As far as what, so what could go right with the Broncos? Obviously, they get good quarterback play or league average. To your point, what do we like about this roster? Let's go through it. I mentioned all Everything of the different, else. Yeah, I, I mentioned all of the different receivers. You love Jerry Judy. He's already tearing it up in camp. The dude's going to get open. Hamler, his speed and agility. Tim Patrick, a very underrated receiver. And, and Cortland Sutton coming back. Don't forget, at six foot three, Sutton, good after the catch for six foot three, shifty for six foot three, and also just a monster at the catch point who could win down the field. So yeah. four legitimate targets, plus Noah Fant, one of the fastest tight ends in the NFL. Noah Fant, Albert O. Like this, there's so much talent on this offense everywhere other than quarterback. I mean, offensive line isn't great, but. The, it's good enough, um, and the receiving core, top to bottom, plus running backs, is incredible. Uh, offensive line carried by Garrett Bowles coming off a career year, 90.6. The NFL stopped calling holding last year. Now, Garrett does Bowles that happen to, again? That's yeah, the most fascinating That thing. is something to watch because Bowles would average 16, 17 penalties a year. He was known for holding a ton. Do they wind back what they did last year in terms of just free-for-all at holding? Other than that, it's solid across the board, question mark. It's center defensively though Vaughn Miller comes back Bradley Chubb comes back those guys are excellent you know good pass rushers you know we'll see if Miller can kind of get back on track after some subpar years plus injury but the secondary looks like this could be one of the best if not the best in the entire NFL combined with Vic Fangio who's done a really good job with secondaries through the years right Vic Fangio whose system helps cornerbacks and safeties generally suddenly has cornerbacks and safeties to play with Um, Kyle Fuller Bryce Callahan was already there obviously uh, Ronald Darby and then Patrick Sertan 2.0 comes in and like Sertan is like your luxury pick you don't even need him to be on the field he's only there if he shows he's good enough that he isn't going to get lit up this has the potential to be a phenomenal secondary the thing is I think I think Sertan's probably a better fit for the scheme than Ronald Darby right and, and also that's why like, I credit the Broncos they signed Darby first yeah and still picked a you know the best player on the board if, if you take Justin Fields out of the equation they took the best player on the board in Sertan even with their top three cornerback slots filled. Yes, that's the thing. It was a it was a pick for next year and beyond. Like you sign Kyle Fuller, you sign Ronald Darby, but either one of those guys could be a short term option. Like Ronald Darby in particular has kind of been up and down and consistent over his career. So maybe that doesn't last beyond a year. And you go, well, that's fine. We've got Patrick Sertan. He got his feet wet as a rookie, and now he's ready to step in and be an excellent starter. It's also a pick to stop the Chiefs. Again, remember, <laughs> we always joke about you always joke about the Packers drafted 17 corners to try to stop Randy Moss. Yeah. Um, if the quarterback situ- situation wasn't in such a flux for the Broncos, we would be saying, look, getting four legitimate corners to help stop 
Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and whoever else the Chiefs trot out there is good good football. But this is the team, by the way. Like I know I said last week that I don't hate the Eagles for essentially evaluating the quarterbacks and deciding to punt this year and turn to next year. It's harder to make that argument, I think, for Denver because their quarterback situation is so terrible. Their roster is so good right now. And the quarterbacks that didn't necessarily look like they were going to thrive, make it, did lasted to Denver. Like they had a choice of Justin Fields, of uh, Mac Jones, and instead chose a cornerback. For uh, fantasy purposes and for a little bit of running back love here, the Broncos drafted, traded up to get Javante Williams in the second round out of UNC. That dude forced more missed tackles per attempt than anybody we have dating back to 2014 that that has gone on to the NFL. So I, I think he'll overtake Melvin Gordon uh, somewhat soon. Not good for my dynasty team, Sam, oh, with, wow. with Gordon. That's Not a good. shame. That's a shame. But Javante Williams, the guy to keep an eye on from uh, fantasy purposes and also just uh, in general, another offensive weapon for the Broncos. All right. So uh, biggest question mark, obviously, was the quarterback, the – ceiling the best case scenario for them is quarterback works out well what's Second, well though like what is even a realistic i think best if case their quarterback though? ranks 15th they're a nine or ten win team if their quarterback ranks 15th i think they are easily into double digits and are an actual contender they'll be one of those those teams where it's like here's this middle tier offense <clears throat> middle to high tier offense with a really good defense. That's also part of the best-case scenario. The defense plays to how well they are yeah. on paper, how, how well they look on paper. If they have a 15th-ranked quarterback, they are winning at least 11 games and are like a real contender. So what does that do for the over-under at 8.5 per DraftKings? I mean, what, what do you think actually happens here? What I think actually happens is their quarterback ranks closer to 25th than 15th, and because of that, they're undermined at every turn and don't actually have that great a team. I'm going to say some things go their way. I'm going to take the over, which which is minus 130. The under is plus 110. So if you are looking to get some value there, Sam, and you don't have faith in the quarterback, maybe yeah. that's the play for going you. Under. Going under for the Broncos. So sad. We have so many positive things to say about them. We'll see what happens. Los Angeles Chargers are next. But before we get into that, got to tell you about our friends over at Fantrax. Fantrax is free. Fantasy Football League Manager is the most customizable, easy-to-use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. And PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. They have multi-team trades. They they auto-generate player salaries for your league. You get bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage. And most importantly, if you're coming from another site, it's not a problem. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues completely free. Sign up and play now at Fantrax.com slash PFF and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league. Make your league on Fantrax and then head out to a free Las Vegas Raiders game with your buddies. It's Fantrax.com slash PFF, the home of fantasy sports speaking of those raiders they're next it's chargers first hmm. i screwed up for a second there. yeah that was uh awkward never mind gloss over it carry on it's the chargers i could go out of order i could change the order no don't do it chargers are next yeah uh i saw Corey lindsley starting center already got hurt and went back it shouldn't be a bad what shouldn't be a wrong? bad injury but uh poor chargers off you can't even lineup. make like the you know created on an in, on an indian burial ground joke because they moved cities like, they uprooted, drove a couple hundred miles up the road, and they still can't keep anybody healthy. Yeah. Anyway, the story of the offseason for the Chargers has been the overhaul of their offensive line. So, I, I don't even know if I would call that the biggest question mark. I have faith that they're going to be better <laughs> on the offensive line. To me, the biggest question mark is what – head coach Brandon Staley comes in. What does he do with this defense? 
does he turn them like he did the Rams into a top tier unit and all of a sudden that changes their fortunes or are yeah. you just all in on the Herbert question mark no I think their biggest question mark is injuries um they, there's so when people have done research and analysis on injuries and year-to-year injury rate and all those kinds of things there's no correlation between high or low injury it's not it's not a stable thing right whether you're going to, if you get really injured one year, you're not going to be necessarily really injured the next year, and vice versa. If you're healthy one year, you're not going to be healthy the next year. It, it, lo, injuries are effectively random luck. On the other hand, the Chargers have so many for such a consistent period of time, it does at least make you wonder what the hell is going on. Like, what is happening to the Chargers that so many important people keep getting injured on such a consistent basis? And, like, it feels that there's probably no way of being consistently healthy, like of dodging bad luck and a guy just planting his knee in or planting his foot in the turf and his knee explodes. I, there can't be a way of like fixing that. But if you have a bunch of guys that are getting consistently injured way more than the league average for a period of time, which is the case with the Chargers, something has to be going on there. I, I don't know what it is and I don't know if they can fix it or if they even know what it is or can fix it. But it that probably is their biggest question mark again like can they avoid having this many people like important guys go down because if they keep if that keeps happening to them you're never going to be one of the contenders you're in a division with the kansas city chiefs whom you're now relying on being as unlucky as you are with injuries in order for you to have any shot of beating them because they have patrick mahomes if you can't stay at least averagely healthy you're screwed Chargers are so so tantalizing on paper though every year so tantalizing on paper on paper here's what's happened justin herbert had an offensive line or a pass blocking unit that was one of the worst in the league last year uh was it 31st overall i lost my ranking here they were 30th in pass blocking and as much as we talked about justin herbert's unsustainable play under pressure last year if he's under less pressure his overall performance will at least, you know, in theory, you know, this is it's stay, the, it's the Russell, similar. yeah, it's the Russell Wilson equation again, right? If you this isn't Herbert inviting pressure either. This is the right. line has been horrendous. D- yeah, different reasons for them being under pressure as much as they are, but the same idea, which is if you can just move the balance of how often a guy is under pressure, it makes way more difference than whether or not he's good under pressure. Um, so as much as they they addressed the offensive line, it's it's not like they're without question marks there either. So. Um, left tackle was a disaster last year. Rashawn Slater comes in, first round left tackle. He was number two, the number two left tackle on our draft board. A lot of hype so far in training camps. So a lot of hype, good. So reinforcing be, your priors. Had a, had a good 10 pass blocking snaps against Chase Young one time. So there's a lot of good stuff to Rashawn Slater's game. So he's left tackle. Matt Filer, the guy that's had success at left guard and at right tackle, he comes in to play left guard, former Steeler. Corey Lindsley, our highest graded center last year, comes in to play center, a place that Dan Feeney really struggled at in past years for the Chargers. Ode Abushi coming off a career high, I believe it is 66th grade last year. So if if Ode Abushi is your worst offensive line, right, which he fine. looks like, you've got a good offensive line. And then Brian Bulaga, another guy that's often on injuries. Already dealing with injuries again. Already, yeah. So he might be at that point. That that could be the thing. Like he might be at this point in his career where it's just always going to be an issue. And they do need more security there Yes, at right tackle. At the risk of uh, derailing this, by the way, did you see uh, Dan Feeney's mullet? No. Spectacular. It's amazing. Please. And he's rocking the mullet with a mustache. Oh, it's like full 1980s. I mean, it's what 
It's like me being dressed up as the baseball I'm all guy. in he on him turning that. around his career then. Yeah. He'll turn it around. Well, between that and the, the rugby tri-nation started, Australia versus New Zealand, the commitment that the Australians and Kiwis have to the mullet is, is amazing to me. Oh, that's the gonna, number of mullets in that game. That's got to add mind some, blowing. some scrum wins or something, right? Yeah, 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 I'm sure. Anyway, back to the Chargers. Um, and then Justin Herbert with field-flipping field arm strength, Sam. Um, <laughs> really, I mean, his, his velocity and downfield ability was so impressive last year. Yeah. Um, when you combine that with who he's throwing to, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, uh, Tyron Johnson, and you know they've they've they ha- and, and Jalen Guyton just kind of had their moments, kind of getting behind defenses and everything. They had Jared Cook to the mix, and Jared Cook, even in his mid thirties, is a solid tight end. They've got the dudes to throw to. If this line is better, and what Herbert showed last year, this offense should be difficult to to stop. Plus and Austin, Austin Eckler yeah. could be a huge uh, receiving option, given how often they want to throw to the running backs. So how much they have in their in this coaching uh, careers, priors, previous history. There you go. That's the word I'm looking for. History. History. Weren't yeah. you a history major? Couldn't yeah, find that, a little couldn't bit. Find that word, huh? No. Cool. Um, the, the offensive line, I would say, is the biggest offensive question mark. You have to keep an eye on Herbert and his his potential regression, whatever. But that's that's based off of he essentially played by pff grades at a similar level as he did his last year at oregon that is a that's a tough thing to do going from college to the nfl but maybe it is just a a knock on the oregon system and supporting cast yeah i mean i was so amazed by i continually surprised by how strong his arm looks like agreed i I mean and i know this is coming from a position of when he was coming out of oregon it's like all right he's a guy that has all the tools big strong arm etc etc but his play hasn't actually matched that but even with that baseline of yes this is a large strong-armed human seeing him play as a rookie and seeing him in training camp now i'm still surprised by how freaking good his arm looks like his i i wouldn't have put him in the very top tier of nfl arms based off what we saw from him in college um but he kind of looks like he belongs there he might not quite be josh allen but he's like in that very next step down the thing i I wish we could quantify this better but you know in baseball they talk about spin rate and this was like back in the day if a dude threw a a four-seam fastball and it said 92 on the radar gun but you're just like man it just feels feels faster than 92 it plays faster than 92 to me that's the way herbert throws the ball that's Spin rate would be like how tight the spiral is essentially in football, but the carry that he has on the ball to have it just yeah. maintain its height. There was one of those. There was one of those plays in training camp where you just toss the ball up to the back corner of the end zone, and the the DB misread it. Essentially, yeah, opened created the separation himself by sort of stopping and going for where he thought the ball was going to land, and it just did what you said. It just kept carrying. Yeah. It's like he was surprised by the flight the ball had. Because you're not supposed to be able to throw it like that. It is supposed to die sooner than that. So the guy, like he's got the level of arm strength that it's causing DBs to screw up how they're playing the ball in the air. So that was what I was most impressed with with Herbert. The other part that I didn't like coming out of college is I, he reminded me of Marcus Mariota in the sense that he just didn't have a great feel for plays outside the pocket for a guy that's very athletic. And I thought he was much better at that. And now I'm going back to – I. I my initial draft, uh, I had a tweet when he, uh, Herbert was coming out that he's this combination. I, it was four quarterbacks. I think it was Mariota, Ryan Tannehill, Josh Allen, and there was one other guy in there. And it was like, throw those guys in a blender and you got Justin Herbert. And for good or for bad, it might be the, you got the Josh Allen type of arm and athleticism and Tannehill, 
was all, Mariota was lacking that feel outside the pocket. And it feels like the kind of tweet where you could just you could come back. I'm to always that. right. That's what I mean. Yeah, oh, yeah. If you just throw four quarterbacks in a blender, if you come back in five years' time, regardless of how he that panned might, out, that might be my new shtick. Yeah, yeah. Is take any four quarterbacks, throw them in a blender. That becomes my comp, and I'm and always then you come right. back in five years' time. It doesn't matter how he panned out. Yeah. You can make it happen. He's based a combination off of, the, of Tom Brady, yeah, Blake Bortles, Teddy Bridgewater, and Derek Carr. Oh, nailed it. Nice. Nailed it. Um, anyway, Herbert was impressive last year. I, I do expect him to continue that success. Let's talk defensively. What Brandon Staley did with the Rams last year, it was it was a forward-thinking offense. It's the Vic Fangio tree. Defense. Uh, defense. Did I say offense? Yeah. Yeah. Forward-thinking defense. Uh, played a lot of too high. They play a lot of, like, hybrid. It's like it looks like quarters, but it's also that Seattle three. In, so what they've done is, to, is really started to take quarterback reads – and just cloud them a little bit. And they took – there are times when it's tough to decipher coverages. Like, is this cover three? Is this cover four? Um, and it's because there are certain principles that kind of carry over or whatever. I feel like he's embraced that and made things really blend and, and work well together. And then easily – I mean, uh, high level, they just – they play the run with fewer yes. defenders, and, which is and, the new new age NFL way of playing. And play the run well. Like, one right. of the problems before with the sort of Tampa 2, the two high safety style defense is – teams weren't able to defend the run particularly well because they had uh, one fewer guy in the box. But the NFL teams have essentially – or coaching has figured that out now. They've problem-solved that. They've worked out how to defend the run with, an, with a fewer – with one fewer guy attached to the box pre-snap. And so it isn't the problem that it used to be. So now all the best defenses are pivoting towards that Vic Fangio style – because it solved the big problem with that Tampa 2 style of defense way back in the day, which is why everything pivoted towards the Seattle scheme of the th- cover one, cover three, where you had that extra guy, the Cam Chancellor, assigned to be your essentially your extra linebacker. Uh, we've also we've seen so many clips of Derwin James going head to head. Why are they one on one so much with Keenan Allen? I, I think they're just like I don't know. Derwin James is ostensibly your starting safety. Why is he covering the number one wide receiver one-on-one in training camp as a cornerback so much? More importantly, let me pose this question. Could Derwin James just be Jalen Ramsey? Could he become a Jalen Ramsey? Could he be better? Because he's hanging. Keenan Allen is a top three route runner in the NFL. It's him and Devontae Adams and, I mean, Tyree Kill. But, like, who they, they just get open. Right, Justin we're not, Jefferson. We're, yes, we're not seeing like Stephon Diggs. We're, we're not, not seeing all of these five. plays, but of of the plays that leak out into the public world, Derwin James is winning more than he's losing. Yeah, size, movement skills. <laughs> he's six two two fifteen, and yeah, I remember in college at Florida State, part of the reason why I love Derwin is he literally played everywhere. He could I, rush the I passer and all out. that stuff, but he could be a cornerback. I tweeted this out. Would you like to hear what the public thinks? Yes. This is one of the people have said this. What what if we what if we put polls out there and then discuss them? So. After one of these clips, I said, if Derwin James moved to cornerback full-time, he would be A, awful, B, viable, C, a good starter, or D, elite. What do you think won? C, good starter. Correct. 48.9% of the people think he would be a good starter. I'm doing it. And there's a chance 27% think he would be elite. Yeah, I, I'm in. I, I'm, I think, I think the, the Twitter folks are right in that respect. At least your followers are right. I mean, the other part is, too— 
remember, and I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna reference this a million times. I think we do need to continue to do a, a good job of separating what corners are asked to do in these various schemes, right? Sure. We we do a pretty good job of that on the show. It's not asking him to play man 50% of the time. It's playing a lot of off coverage, which is a similar skill to you know using your eyes to evaluate the situation and make a play. That's what safeties do. Um, sometimes Derwin will see the game through a straw too much, but you know he can do it. <laughs> At corner in this Staley scheme, I got uh, Derwin at corner as a as an elite player for Brandon Staley. Very quickly, if he did move to corner and was elite, is it more or less valuable for him to be there or be this do-it-all safety, which is what – because that's the, the thing that people would say is, well, why would you want him doing that when he can play safety and impact everything? I, I don't know if the do-it-all safety fits in this scheme. Let's assume much. it does for a minute, though, because that's I, the that's the reason people would say, "Why would you screw with that?" On paper, I would take a do-it-all safety. Troy Polamalu just went into the Hall of Fame, and, he did. and when you look at his highlight reel, um, he was literally doing stuff that other people could not do. Now, it doesn't mean he was perfect on every play and wasn't exploited other times on play action, whatever. Derwin is that type of guy. I think that could do things that other people can't do. And if you tap into that, I would rather have him be that do-it-all guy. Um, but if you're not, if you have a simple scheme where it's like, oh, you're just our too high safety, you're just our split field safety on this play, I would think but, about playing him a corner. But also there's like a difference between a do-it-all guy who's Troy Polamalu and one who's just good. Like John Johnson is good at everything, but you'd rather Jalen Ramsey than John Johnson within that defense. If right. Derwin James right. is just good at everything and isn't used as Troy Polamalu – he's better as a shutdown number one corner than he is just being the good do-it-all safety that can play in the box and defend the run and coverage and blah, blah, blah. Oh. It's better. It's more important. Uh, one of the big stories <clears throat> for me, we just talked about the Broncos seeing the Fangio tree against Patrick Mahomes twice a year in Denver, also now with the Chargers, how they match up with the Chiefs you know, in that offense. Um, Joey Bosa is back and you know, one of the better pass rushers in the entire NFL. The question is going to be who emerges uh, next to him, Jerry Tillery has been a big disappointment a couple uh, over the last couple of years, former first rounder. So yeah. I think my defensive question marks are more centered around the scheme, how they fit in and, and how they deploy guys in the secondary. Also, don't forget about Asante Samuel, second rounder. Seems like a really good fit. Love the fit, for but I'm now scared away from rookie corners based off all of them being lit on fire For this year, year, potentially, yes. The over-under for the Chargers is nine and a half. So that's a pretty, obviously, again, 17-game schedule, but... Vegas predicting them as being at least over 500 and in the mix in the AFC. Well, in the mix for second place in the AFC yes. West. God, that's Vegas is good at these these lines, right? I don't love that. Um, let's lean over. Over, man. I'm going over. We got to have it's it's August. Who doesn't love the Chargers in August? Mm, Ten every years. Year. Ten years in a row yeah. going over for the Chargers. Let's wrap up the AFC West with the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, uh, to me, it was a weird offseason. Is Alex Leatherwood? Because I asked, I asked the fans, the fans, who's getting hyped in training camp right now? I'll, I'll do it again today because you know things change in a week. <laughs> I want to see what the answers are, and okay. if you get the same one, somebody's really tearing it up. That's true. Is Alex Leatherwood getting a lot of? Uh, I haven't seen. Is he getting a lot of hype, or was somebody just trolling me? I haven't seen any, but that doesn't mean it hasn't been happening. Okay, just wondering if you. I mean, if you've Brian, seen anything. Brian Edwards is the guy getting the hype for yes. the Raiders. Brian Edwards is definitely getting the hype. And I told you, I will buy into all the Brian Edwards hype. I believe it. Uh, what To me, it was a really weird offseason for the Raiders. It, it's tough to look. Every year. To, but, like, there's 28 or 29 teams around the league where you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, they're going to get better, you know, positivity, and, and you're feeling good about what they did. I, I do think every for every move that I liked for the Raiders, there was one that I didn't like. Not that I'm perfect, but <laughs> – there are questions about what the offensive line <laughs> looks like. Important caveat. Yeah. 
Like, none of us are perfect. I'm just a little, I'm just lukewarm on the Raiders and where they are. And I think most of their question marks still stem from a defense where the highest graded returning starter is, you know, barely in the 70s. Yeah. I mean, the biggest question mark is how is that defense anything other than terrible, essentially. So it doesn't really matter what the offense does because their defense is bad enough that they're never going anywhere without it getting better than that. Like, this is, they, their best case scenario jumping ahead is effectively Chiefs in year one, which is their offense is incredible, their defense sucks, and the defense is so bad that the, the offense can't win a Super Bowl. The how, though, comes with the scheme change, right? We have seen when you when you take a bad defense, just changing the scheme sometimes can can give them a little bit of a boost. Gus Bradley comes in. Now that's that old school cover three. He runs, but he runs like, yeah. old school Seattle cover three. The question Maybe would, they're just better fits for the system. Sure, but the question would be, are, is it a good thing to bring in a new system which is going backwards to a time to a, to a system that's slowly becoming the past like we've just been talking about how the Vic Fangio Brandon Staley defense is at the cutting edge of the forefront that's where the league is going should you be pivoting towards where the league has come from as your new progressive style of defense and, and just to clarify that too Robert Sala who was in San Francisco now head coach of the Jets was part of that tree oh you run cover three you run cover one and you do it and you whatever he even morphed into more quarters and in kind of staley-esque types of concepts he took that right. base defense and evolved it gus bradley is one of those his defenses over the last couple of years as coordinators like 50 60 percent cover three and three seam like right. they have they have the taken more, the 2012 13 defense of seattle the more rigid and um steadfast you have been to that original system the worse your defensive scheme is right now. Dan Quinn in Atlanta was the same thing. It was it was very much now that along one the might, lines. Yeah, that one in Dallas might at least have some success because okay, you're going to a system that's that's becoming more um archaic. You are at least dramatically simplifying it from what it was before. I don't think the same thing is necessarily true in Las Vegas. There's just so many let's start on the defensive side for the Raiders here. There is there are just so many veterans that they have thrown at this defense. And John Gruden, remember, he was on the Chris Collinsworth podcast early in the offseason. It was before free agency. And hearing that interview made me convinced that they were going to be going all in on guys like Leonard Williams or, you know, big name free agents. And they never really did that. He, he was saying, we need difference makers. We need playmakers on defense. I don't know that they've done that. Now, they have intriguing signings like a Yannick Ngakwe. Casey Hayward comes in, who's played in this system and had success, even though he's coming off his career low 59 grade last year. Corey Littleton had a had a bad year in his first season with the Raiders, but maybe he's a better fit for this system as a guy that's going to run the seam and play the middle of that. Again, I could see the path where they're better, but I also don't think that they're necessarily you know looking at a top 10 to 15 defense here this year either no and every like major move they've made has been a disaster like Damon Arnett was a surprise first round pick I would be willing to toss out his rookie year as like just a, a collection of 41 grade unfortunate circumstances the go the guy got concussed he got broke a thumb or something so barely played and when he did play it was terrible um but he's now like with the second team he's being talked about as not in any way shape or form like a likely part of the the starting future so you're now leaning on a guy like Casey Hayward um Cleveland Farrell was supposed to be the, the the leader the standard bearer for the defensive front is now a backup like you're rolling with Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe and as much as 
you know, Ngakwe's got some pass rushing talent. He's also on like his fourth team in three years. And the talent hasn't, like, he hasn't been anywhere near the same guy since he had a defined speed rush role in a 2017 Jags where everything else was covered. So all he had to do was beat his guy around the edge. When that evaporated, he hasn't been the same threat again. So, like, and Corey Littleton comes over and it's been an absolute disaster. Like, the big moves that they've made to massively change this defense have almost universally failed. Uh, they signed Gerald McCoy. They brought in KJ Wright, right? Did we not try to see if try to see if our update went through? Was that official? I don't know if that was actually done. I don't know if it was done or not. Yeah, I know they were rumored to, but but either way, all of these moves, it's like they're. I feel like they're trying to throw a lot at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, still a visit, not a sign. Still a visit for KJ Wright. So even if he's there, it's like well, Corey Littleton's there, and Nicholas Mar- uh, Moreau and Nick Kwiatkowski, you know, friend of the show. And then they, you know, they bring in Darren Lee. They're they're seeing what sticks. Like as of right now, backups. <laughs> right include, now, nothing sticking. <laughs> well, backups include Carl Joseph, Divine Diablo, who they drafted uh, two safeties, right? Rasul Douglas, guys who either have potential or have started, and they're trying and they're trying to add depth. I just don't know where the the stars are here. You know, um, they've got Max Crosby up front, who had a better rookie season than he did a sophomore year. Uh, Cleveland Furl had a good game or two down the stretch that kind of helped his grade, but he hasn't been an elite pass rusher. So it's a whole bunch of just middle tier type of players on the defense. And for Gruden to say, Hey, we need some difference makers on defense back in February. I think that's still an issue heading into the yeah, season. Well, he's right. The problem is that everybody, every time they take a swing at a difference maker, they miss like they, their record in terms of these big seismic shift moves have, has been horrendous over the past couple of years. And that's made look even worse by the fact that they deviate from the sort of consensus more than any other team out there. Like if you're going to be that team off on an island somewhere saying, I don't care what you think, this is our evaluation, you have to hit. And they've been missing. Um, Looking at their, uh, where were they rank-wise last year here? Defense was 30th in EPA per play allowed. 30th in overall PFF grade. Their best ranking was a 24th ranking in run defense. That's between run defense, pass rush, and coverage. So all of those question marks remain this year. That's the biggest question. Will this will this Raiders defense get better? All that said, last year at this time, we were talking about Derek Carr maybe, in a, maybe being a little bit too conservative. They had that game against the Chiefs where they attacked down the field. He had over 200 yards on deep passes. And that was it was a much better year for Derek Carr throwing the ball down the field. 84.7 grade. Um, and I think you got to give him credit too, because he did it with Nelson Aguilar was a really good deep threat. He did it. He did a nice job there, but it's not without a, it's, it's without a dominant wide receiver that Derek Carr had that good season. The most dominant player offensively is Darren Waller. He's right up there with Travis Kelsey and George Kittle as one of the three or four legit mismatch weapons at tight end. But this offense has continued to get better under Gruden. So um, my big question mark though, does come back to the offensive line here. Yeah. It's they've made a lot of changes to that group. Can they be viable again? Um, and the other one is, can they get what Henry Ruggs was supposed to be this year? It didn't happen as a rookie. He got injured, um, then lost his role within the offense to Nelson Aguilar when Derek Carr to Aguilar just struck this connection. And I get, I think there's, you can excuse the fact that Ruggs didn't then come back into the picture because like, don't mess with the thing that's working. Now, I think they probably still could have done a better job of scheming something for Ruggs, but they didn't. So now is the year, right? Now you actually need to get him back in there and make that work. I like the fact that they brought in contingency in John Brown in case yeah. it doesn't, you know, so you can you can pivot again. 
But if it doesn't, it's another like just hideous indictment over what they've been doing in terms of drafting. But those are my biggest question marks. Yeah, I think they were trying to figure out how to best deploy rugs, right? I mean, early on, they were using him as a decoy quite a bit. I thought they did a nice job of scheming him up down the field. I, I think Ruggs will be better and will, will be a, more of an impact player this year. John Brown has always been good when healthy as an intermediate and a deep threat. If Brian Edwards <laughs> is the Terrell Owens, stop, Terrell, stop Terrell Owens, if he's even, uh. I mean, if he's this big bodied possession receiver, which he showed those skills at South Carolina, I'm not, it doesn't matter about the hype. I, I do think he could be a viable threat in this offense. And then Hunter Renfro is a good solid slot receiver. Yeah. Combined with Darren Waller, I think they can, that all can work, man. Yes. And then you throw in one of the <coughs> curious moves was paying a lot of money for Kenyon Drake, right? Kenyon Drake to back up Josh Jacobs, but they hit Kenyon Drake on a wheel route. So they were like in, in, in training camp. So, of course, he's going to be a pass game. And threat, Jacobs but, has been arguably like the one hit from the, yeah, the first, the many, many first round picks they've had and have deviated from, you know, what other people would do. But we might see Kenyon Drake deployed in the passing game. So, look, I think the offense will be fine. But last year's offensive line wasn't necessarily great. That was with Rodney Hudson, you know, having his worst season. Yeah, a while. It, it, but wasn't, it wasn't problematic. Right. But it was like the guys like Rodney Hudson that they got rid of. You have far more confidence in late career Rodney Hudson, even if he's declining far more confidence in him being good than say Andre James who they love and is scheduled to be the starting center or Nick Martin who they picked up as a potential starter or backup that's my biggest issue even Gabe yeah. Jackson right Gabe Jackson's gone Rodney Hudson's gone Trent Brown is gone even though those guys were either hurt or less effective than you would have liked if they had that trio rather than Andre James Denzel Good and Alex Leatherwood's slated to start on the right side you would have far more confidence in this Raiders offensive line moving forward. Yeah, offensive lines are far more a weak link enterprise than they are how good it is. And the Raiders this year have a much higher chance of having at least one or two weak links along that offensive line. Uh, all eyes will be on Leatherwood. First round pick, I was number 40 on the PFF draft board. Um, but again, even if they hit on him, this offensive line looks like a middle-of-the-pack type of unit. Colton Miller did take a big step forward in pass I mean, pro, not as good in the run game. If they hit on him, there's still a very good chance that the center-right guard axis is one giant weak link ready to crumble. Uh, let's check it out. Where are the Raiders for over-under this year per Vegas? Not by not the Raiders, but by— Who, uh, who specifically in Vegas? By DraftKings. There you go. Over-under is only seven Ooh. for the Raiders. All right. I know I... you like them. I'll go over seven. I will too. There you go. There's some optimism. I, they they just feel like they're in this <clears throat> very odd spot. Where I think their offense will be good. I'm concerned about the offensive line, but I think the offense is too much talent to not be pretty good. The defense will probably be a disaster again, but like that's where you end up, right? You end up about 500 if you have a really good offense and a really bad defense. Uh, yeah, so uh, EPA per play last year, the Raiders were 11th. And they did that with the number 17 pass blocking unit, the number 26 run blocking unit. So again, the offensive line wasn't good last year, but I don't think on paper they're better this year. I think the guys that, again, could have been there would have been better. Yeah. Defense is the big question for the Raiders. I'll go over as well, though, because I do think the offense will keep them solid. Let's go to the NFC. NFC West starting. Oh, this one's alphabetical to start. Arizona Cardinals. Then it goes out of order. Arizona Cardinals, Sam. Uh-huh. Biggest question mark. Uh, the offense 
scheme generally and Kyla Murray, like they all need to take this step forward together. Um, everybody's sort of focusing on Kyla Murray, that part of it. It's like, hey, you know, was better last year. Can he now take the step to being one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL? My question is, is also, though, like how far along in this process of Cliff Kingsbury's offense becoming the NFL version of Cliff Kingsbury's offense, is he? And is he going to continue this, the, the step of constant evolution? Um, because that, that still needs to happen. Like he's made, he made some drastic changes from essentially the college air raid that he brought in very quickly. And I think he should be commended for that, right? Like he, the average NFL team ran like 29 snaps of uh, 10 personnel, four wide receivers in that season, his first year. The Cardinals ran like 150 in the first month of the, year, of the season, right? And then they ended up with like 270 or something. So they... Yeah, they started to throw a lot more three wide receiver, right. two tight end stuff, a lot of different But they things. went way away from it. So they led the league by like a huge distance, but they massively ramped down. There was like 60-something percent of their snaps for the first month, and then they went away from it. And they needed to because that just wasn't going to work. Um, but you need to keep going. Like this idea of DeAndre Hopkins spending his life at left wide receiver and never moving, that's bad. That can't happen. EPA per play for both the offense and defense. Again, EPA is expected points added. It's it's probably the best measure of just overall offensive and defensive efficiency because it takes in game situation and the whole thing. Cardinals were 16th offensively, 17th defensively last year. So Ted smack in the right. middle. And I think collectively the team is about where it's supposed to be. But the point is that only means anything if you're still going upwards and they finished right. last year going downwards. So they need to show that like, 2021 there's another step forward in them they're another one of those teams too i think on paper the offensive line looks really it looks solid they bring in rodney hudson who we just talked about with the raiders you could have a huge impact like so, a massive impact and they were already one of the better pass blocking units the quick pa they have so many quick passes in there that they already protect the offensive line a little bit so pass protection shouldn't be that big of an issue dj humphreys at left tackle had a career year justin Pugh, solid rodney hudson the best pass protecting center in the league over the last 10 years. Justin Murray's okay at right guard. Kelvin Beecham, good, solid right tackle. They should be good in pass. Let me tell you why Rodney Hudson is so important. Not only is he the best pass, pass protecting center in the NFL still, um, so he's going to give up a hell of a lot less pressure than they were getting last year. But he's so good at that, he should also change the, the change how close the pocket is getting mm. to Kyla Murray. So not just eliminating the fact that Murray's under pressure, but the gap between Murray and his center's ass on every given play should be larger with Rodney Hudson there than it was last can year. Can you chart that on a weekly basis to make sure that you can confirm that's, your priors? That's what NGS is for. NGS <laughs> is for the distance between the center's ass and the quarterback's face on any given play. Now, Kyler Murray is four foot two in height. He needs his center's ass to be way off in the distance for him to be able to deal with the perspective that shows. And he's going to get it with Rodney Hudson. Welcome to my TED Talk. Social team. Alert, alert, social team. Get that on Twitter immediately. Yes, absolutely. Good, good breakdown of Rodney Hudson's impact on the Arizona Cardinals. So in addition to the, All that said, to the, the pass blocking numbers, that is a critical factor. Certainly is. Because think about it, right? He is... I, I don't think you need to expound upon listed it. Listed at 5'10", right? You and already then, called him four foot two. Don't try to <laughs> don't try to hedge with the listed five ten. Well, okay, he's four foot two, and then you've got Rondale Moore over there at three foot eight. How he? How can you think of the just the the arc that that ball needs to go through? You need some distance between you and the offensive lineman. 
All that said, I I agree. NGS is going to good do a good job of separating, showing the separation between Rodney Hudson and Kyler Murray. It's still, as we always talk about on the show, going to come down to how effective they are efficiency-wise in the pass game. And they need more than just DeAndre Hopkins. How are they going to deploy those resources on the outside? AJ well, Green could not get open last yeah. year. Well, was also, that because he was one year removed from injury, or is it just a trend? But here's the thing: even if let's say for a minute that AJ Green remains as problematic a part of the receiving core as he was last year, that can still be okay if you're prepared to maximize the threat of DeAndre Hopkins. I move him around, right? Yeah. If all you're doing is lining him up at left wide receiver, then you are he is never going to see a second cornerback. Because any team in the league can go, well, he's always over there. The guy over on that side isn't but good. Not, not every team shadows. Though. But they like, should. Like the point is not that's every team does. That's but you can enough. roll coverage that way. It's easy right, to roll that's coverage. That's enough where you will change things. Whereas if you move him around, you can't do that now. You have to actually go, all right, where is DeAndre Hopkins? Now, on the fly, in the 10 seconds between them lining up and snapping the ball, how can I make an adjustment so that we have more coverage over Hopkins than A.J. Green? If all you're doing is lining them up in the same spot, which they did like 90-plus percent of the snaps last year, it's easy. Teams have it covered. Yeah, so I agree on the Hopkins thing. I I just think the the Cardinals' season really might come down to what A.J. Green has left and how they deploy Rondell Moore, what they get out of Rondell Moore, a guy 5'7", running back type of skills but he's a receiver he's got receiver and running back skills do they get creative with him do they move him around um he is so dynamic in the open field and then if if those guys are pretty good assuming they still have christian kirk and andy isabella we'll see isabella's got to be on the Mm, on the cutting block here but i still think that there's something to isabella's deep speed use him on those deep over routes christian kirk uh, can get down the field he's not a high volume receiver but he can make some plays down the field so the potential's there. I also think they should tap into Max Williams, the tight end, as a receiver. And if they don't, man, some team that actually uses a tight end, Max Williams has top 10 all-around tight end potential, I think, in today's NFL. And he's either in the wrong scheme or Arizona's going to tap into it this year and, and throw him the ball. Because um, Max Williams is one of the better run blockers, and he's an underrated receiver. My point is, I think they've got the weapons offensively to do some damage. Kyler Murray, though, one of the lowest grades among quarterbacks in the NFL at the intermediate level, that 10 to 19 yard level. And the question I need answered this year is that the air raid is that, because the air raid tends to be deep or short, right? Doesn't really attack the intermediate level that well. Or is it is it Murray's height? You know, is that actually an issue? Because Russell Wilson has had issues with the, the middle of the field, intermediate middle at times. So um, need that question answered by the Cardinals this year. Yeah, um, I, I, I... It is a big ma- the make or break narrative is not wrong. The question is just what is where where should that focus be? Should it all be on Kyler Murray, which it kind of is right now, or should actually a greater percentage of it be on Cliff Kingsbury and that offensive scheme and whether that's capable, whether that's putting uh, Kyler Murray in the best position to succeed? The other thing Murray did well last year, the Cardinals did well, is they tapped into his rushing ability as part of the design running game. You know, you hear us talk about that all the time. I mean, if you can get 500 to 800 yards from a, that's a big difference, but 500 plus yards from a quarterback in the design run game, not just on scrambles, that's an absolute game changer. Um, the other thing that the the Kingsbury scheme has done is opened up things for running backs. It has been the run a, game has been really yeah, good. 
it's been an efficient rushing attack without great run blocking grades which which is just that's the math that's just run when you're supposed to open up holes and they do some really creative stuff in the run game and they've done a good job of not necessarily investing heavily they got james connor on the cheap they've got chase edmonds so there are certain team building strategies that are solid here from arizona offensively it's just a it's a big pivotal year though mari kingsbury and then the other question is what does that sort of defensive front seven look like like they've added some freakish athletes in the last couple of years. Isaiah Simmons, a linebacker. Zayvon Collins, a linebacker this year. J.J. Watt comes in. Chandler Jones stays there so far. Um, what is, can they piece all that together into a group that actually is cohesive and functional? Because, you know, Simmons struggled as a rookie. Let's see what he does in year two. Zayvon Collins is probably going to struggle as a rookie. So just generally what that group looks like this year will be fascinating to watch. And then, I mean, my biggest question mark on the and on the defense though is cornerback too, right? So, Malcolm Butler, they bring him in to play left corner. Remember last year is Patrick Peterson and Drake Kirkpatrick. They played a lot of man coverage. Those guys are not at this point in their careers not a great fit there. So, a complete overhaul of this group of corners. Byron Murphy played a little bit better in his second year last year playing in the slot. Right now, it's Robert Alford, Tay Go- Tay Gowan, Marco Wilson. They're all competing to start opposite Malcolm Butler. Daryl Worley, Chase Whitaker. It's not the it's, not, it's not the best group of corners there. And that's why at the top of the show we talked about CJ Henderson potentially being available and the Cardinals maybe being an outstanding fit for Henderson and, and he could step right in and start opposite Malcolm Butler. Yeah. I mean generally the secondary outside of Buda Baker is quite the question mark. Um and needs some kind of they need to come together or somebody needs to step up to show that they can stop anybody. Um so what are you? What are your thoughts on this, on this defense? I mean, the, the front seven that you mentioned, there's so much potential there, you know, with with Chandler Jones, Marcus Gold, and JJ Watt as a trio of pass rushers. Second year of Isaiah Simmons, he was so much better down the stretch last year. We'll see how he fits into the system. Plus the rookie, Zayvon Collins. They they did a lot of creative things on third down. What are you expecting from this D? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to watch, and it'll make some big plays. And I'll probably be okay overall. I, the secondary feels like an almost inevitably will hold them back to some degree. Um, but I think this will be a fun defense to watch. Like, I'm just kind of interested generally in seeing them. I, they're an entertaining-looking defense. It, part of my concern with the corners, too, I, I always look to, the, to the, the division. Obviously, you always want a good secondary. But when you have to match up with big DK Metcalf in Seattle plus uh, Tyler Lockett, you got to match up with all of the Rams – receivers that are good and then the 49ers playmakers that are good right that's my question in the back seven for the cardinals let's see where DraftKings has them this year over under eight and a half mm. they're good again which doesn't represent i mean it doesn't really represent any kind of growth step forward right it was they were 500 last year eight and eight now eight and a half there's a 17th game out there it's literally exactly where they were a year ago uh so, okay, I'm going to say they have developed from a year ago. Therefore, they squeak over that. I'm going over again uh, as well for the Cardinals. I've got some optimism. I think Murray takes another step this year too. Uh, I desperately hope Kingsbury does show some more development to that offense because right now I think it's hurting the fact that they're not moving the receivers around a lot. All right, let's go to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, tale of two seasons last year. Seattle, we, Russell Wilson. Uh, he was he won the MVP in, on social media by week six. I mean, it was over the MVP race, the most important thing. Mm. He'll 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 have it locked up by week three this year. 
Completely different season. Highest graded quarterback in the first half of the year, number 20, 24, 21, second half of the year. Did they just run into the Rams? Did the scheme get stale? Did they just come back down to earth? What was it? He, That's the biggest question. He mark ended right up now. with a PFF grade above 90 despite being the 21st graded quarterback in the NFL. Down he was the at like 95 right. first half of the That's year. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. how good he was in the first chunk of the season before the wheels fell off and this whole thing collapsed around him. Um, I, I mean, we was it last a couple of weeks ago, we had a big discussion about Russell Wilson and just the unique aspects of his play that make this whole dynamic more complicated than most teams where you just have to decide like what does this offense look like russell wilson has this unique style of play that makes it complicated to work out how you're even supposed to deploy this system and it's not just a run pass balance it's what the pass game looks like and they now have you know a new offense coming in which is supposedly going to ramp up the the amount of sort of short quick game stuff passing early on early downs which is a good thing i think in theory because wilson is good at that stuff it should tilt the balance away from him being under pressure all the time towards just more quick efficient passing um but i think that's one of my biggest question marks is can they strike the right balance between letting wilson be wilson and keeping him away from bad habits i'm with you man i mean this is the the 19th time i've said it on the podcast but vertical scheme of dk metcalf uh, Tyler Lockett does a little bit of both, but bringing in Dwayne Eskridge as their top pick, a guy who is fast, but also can, can bring, I think the offense in general is going to be more horizontally centered. Gerald Everett, very good after the catch type of tight end. So I think it's Everett and Eskridge will help balance out that offense, maybe even a penny heart. Well, they, his, yeah, they, they kind of stockpile these shorter, horizontal, quicker guys. Eskridge, Penny Hart was already there. Cade Johnson was an undrafted guy from South Dakota State, right? He was it. the same kind of I think. jackrabbits. He was the same kind of receiver in terms of yes. shorter, horizontal skills. So they, you can say that's just coincidence. Alternatively, they're actually targeting those guys. Now, as much as we've talked about Russell Wilson and the offensive line there and everything, their offensive line was... 20th in pass blocking grade. Brandon Shell had a breakout season at right tackle. Dwayne Brown has been just so consistent there. And they were ninth as a run blocking unit. It wasn't the same train wreck of an offensive line. It wasn't great, but it wasn't the same train wreck of an offensive line from a pass protection standpoint that we've seen in the past. Does Gabe Jackson, he's the one big change. They bring Gabe Jackson in likely to play right guard, move Damian Lewis last year's rookie to left guard. Center still a bit of a question mark, but it's not the same horrible offensive line that they were trotting out there for years in Seattle. They can at least, they could creep back toward average even a little bit more this year. Yeah, the the irony of all this, like Russell Wilson finally being tired of his pass protection stuff and getting hit too much, hasn't been bad. It's actually it all right at the moment. It's all relative. You forgot to reset the I timer. Did, yeah. so now I'm three minutes in here. Uh, it, it is better than it's been. And it's all relative, but it's better. Yeah, it's still not good, it's but it's not like it's not the catastrophic problem that it could have been um, has been in the past. Um, and it's 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 a bizarre time to sort of take umbrage over. There's the other one thing I want to see is th there's the run pass balance. Um, part of the reason why the season looked so good last year, Brian Schottenheimer for we, we were sitting here last year at this time saying, oh, he's archaic. He doesn't know how to adjust. He was doing he was running first down play action. Second and 10, they were chucking it left and right. I mean, they were doing all sorts of forward-thinking things on offense where it was not just run-run-pass like it had been the previous season. But at some point in the year, it just didn't work as well. 
right? Or, or maybe they, they, they kind of got back to running the ball a little bit too much. Whatever it was, whatever it was, the run-pass balance and how much Pete Carroll is trying to control the ball versus letting Russ cook and the whole deal, I think that's going to be an interesting it, it, discussion. It felt like when they ran into the Rams the first time and the Rams' defense caused them all kinds of problems and Russell Wilson sort of started his collapse – it was like the reaction to that was to go in the wrong direction and to sort of run home to what you feel safe with. And, yeah. oh, we gotta, we got to run the ball more. And this is the, like, we got to take it out of Russell's hands, make it like that. It's sort of they, they dug themselves deeper by reacting in the wrong way to the things that were going south. Defensively for the Seahawks, they started out horrible. They ended up 16th in EPA per play allowed, right in the middle of the pack. Remember how early on they were giving up like 400 yards per game through the air. Um, they, there was a discrepancy, though. Number two run defense grade by PFF, 24th pass rushing grade. That's, to me, the biggest question mark here because it is a system that wants to play coverage. They want to they want to drop seven. They want to rush four. And they don't have a front four that gets pressure. Because of that, they take a Jamal Adams, who's a great pass rusher, but he's a safety. That's not yeah. his main job. A great pass rusher. And he was getting after the quarterback at a high rate last year. Uh, middle of the pack coverage grade by the end of the season for the Seahawks, but they have to rush the passer better this year. Well, this, the defense generally is just, it's not even at a crossroads. It's like this thing has now gotten to the point where it isn't good. Can you get it back on track? Like they've added some players, you know, Carlos Dunlap was a stopgap last season, did make a difference, was probably their best legitimate pass rusher if you acknowledge that jamal adams is a safety and shouldn't be in that in that conversation dunlap was the best guy they had um they bring in alden smith who was you know pretty good last year given that he was five years out of the league you know maybe didn't quite continue the way he looked like he was going to to start the season but should certainly be an upgrade for them um puna ford is a good defensive lineman but is not much of a pass rusher yes where's the pass rush coming from but also you know, can Jordan Brooks take a step forward year two? Bobby well, Wagner stays where he is. And who the hell is going to play cornerback for them? Like, where is the – construct for me how this group of players is going to create a good defense. So I guess I, I don't really see it. They're moving Demarius Randall. Remember, Randall has played corner and safety in the NFL. They're moving him to corner, apparently. Again. Um, so he's back to corner. He'll be competing with Akello Witherspoon. And look, I like Witherspoon. He's had good moments in his career, just hasn't done it at an extended for an extended period of time. Big, long corner who moves well. He was with the Niners, similar scheme. He could be the guy. DJ Reed has played pretty good football, different type of body and the whole thing. Um, they've been playing a mostly... You know, they still play a ton of base, and they rely on their linebackers to do a ton. So, you know, Wagner um, still needs to play at a high level in, in this system. I do think they have a good group of linebackers overall. Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton, good college players that still needs to translate. So a lot of questions here. And then there's still the Jamal Adams factor, right? They brought him into a system where generally the strong safety plays strong safety and it, the Cam Chancellor role and this whole thing that we always talk about. But they moved Adams around and tapped into his skill set but he also had to cover guys like Julian Edelman, and it wasn't great when they had to go cover slot receivers. He He's very good at covering tight ends. He's good at playing too high, deep. He's good at rushing the passer. He's a pretty good run defender. But I feel like Adams was put into some difficult spots last year. Um, so I, I think they need their stars to play like stars. That's Adams. That's Wagner. And they need a corner or two, really, to emerge. Yeah. And I just, I mean, this whole defense, when you look at some of the names on the group lower down the depth chart, it's like they're just throwing darts at names and hoping some of them stick. You know, guys like Pierre Desir, who's got some 
some history of viable starting play in in his past. Um, you know, Robert Kemdiche for the classic failed first round draft pick that might have something in a different uh, a different environment. The the whole kind of team is just Demarius Randall. It's like let's just hope something sticks because. That like we've gone from having the best defense in the NFL, an all-time great defense, this incredible depth chart of talent, the the Legion of Boom, all these kind of guys, and now it's all gone. The only buddy left, the only person left is Bobby Wagner, who's trying to keep this thing together by himself. We bring in a guy like Jamal Adams, cost us two first round picks and presumably a monster contract to follow, and everything else has just crumbled. Like th- them stitching a defense together is just I don't see how it's going to happen. I've said before, you know, trying to replicate that defense, you do need the line. You need linebackers. You need a second. We also need the scheme, not to just get like outdated. It's just hard to mask a a poor position group in that system. It's, it's, I think it's more fragile overall. Now, sometimes I use the opposite analysis and I say, well, Dallas is going to run that, run that scheme and simplify it. But in part, it's because they at least have a solid group of defensive linemen, a solid group of linebackers. But also, Dallas can... is trying to get to where Seattle was, right? Dallas is just trying to get to average. Right, that's like true. They're, they're coming from about as true. bad as it got. All they're trying to do is get back to the middle of the pack. Seattle is sitting there in the middle of the pack being like, how do we get good again? Because we used to be amazing, and I don't know that that's capable of doing that. I think it's definitely capable... The scheme is capable of taking you from the ass end of the NFL when you're getting lit up by everybody to somewhere in the middle. Is it any longer capable of taking you back to the pinnacle? I I think, anyway, the the story of Seattle season, as much as they need people to emerge in the secondary, somewhere between Carlos Dunlap, Alden Smith, Kerry Hyder, their couple couple draft picks from 2020, Alton Robinson, Daryl Taylor, who's been playing some linebacker, Benson Maioa, who had like 500 pass rushes for them last year. Somewhere in that group, they need guys who can just win one-on-ones. Mm. In, a, in a four-man rush situation and take pressure off Jamal Adams in, in his need to to be a do-it-all safety. Yeah. As much as we talk about we want Derwin James to do that, Jamal Adams has that same skill set. You just don't necessarily want that, I don't think, for your defense if that's not what it generally calls for. That's the issue. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you rely on that, it's a problem. Seahawks over-unders 10. How much does the sour taste... How is it still in your mind? I'm going over for the Seahawks here too. I'm just look. I'm high on everybody in the NFC West. I'm going to go over for everybody, which makes no sense. But uh, maybe not the Rams. But I'm just. I, I think the baseline. It still starts with Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett. Just like the Chiefs start with Mahomes, Kelsey, uh, and Tyreek. That that's going to equal ten wins. Just just there. That's the thing. They are they like Russell Wilson is so good that it gives them such an insanely high starting point as a baseline. Um, even when he, you know, has a rough go down the stretch. And also, they are well coached. Like, Pete Carroll knows what he's doing, which is why when, like, this whole Russ, let Russ cook balance and his insistence that they need to be balanced and run the ball, like, the guy knows what he's doing. He's not a moron, right? He might have some ways of thinking about things that are slightly different, but he's not, like, a complete idiot. Um, So they are, they do start off with this incredibly high baseline, but the defense is going to be a problem, I think. I don't know if the offense is going to be good enough that they're like in legitimate contention. Um, I think at some point it feels like all of that stuff has to come back to bite them at some stage. And it has in the past. Like they've been, you know, nine and seven or 10 and six or whatever. I'm going to go under. I'm going to go over. I also think keep an eye on the Seahawks, you know, around cut days and before the season, potentially adding, adding some players. And um, if they do, I'm 
I'm a little bit higher on the Seahawks. I think I think over 10 because their pass game is still going to be good. I can't wait to see what that offense looks like. And I also can't wait to see what the Rams look like. All of this talk, this is my biggest storyline for the year. We get to see McVay and Matthew Stafford. We've discussed them so much this offseason. But we've only seen McVay as a head, co- as a head coach with Jared Goff as his quarterback. Mm-hmm. We've also seen McVay coach Kirk Cousins. And even though Cousins efficiency-wise has been pretty good he's he's maintained a pretty good level for the majority of his career I still think there was an element where McVay got the best out of him he got the best out of Jared Goff until other pieces fell apart is he going to get the best out of Matthew Stafford and what does that best look like if Stafford has an 83 84 PFF grade is that enough because McVay is a good play caller and they do have a good group of playmakers reset um I would say so what's the biggest question mark for you for the for the Rams that it's what does this Stafford McVeigh combination look like? We've all been fed the narrative all the way through the offseason that hey, God, look, I, I don't know how I was getting anything done with this giant 220 pound albatross hanging around my neck in the form of Jared Goff and his monster contract. Frankly, it, we were working miracles to be even functional with this guy. Now, ignore the fact that I was the one that wanted him in the first place. Let's move that to the side <laughs> and just focus on how much he was dragging me and this offense down. Now, I've got this magician over here in Matthew Stafford with one of the best physical skill sets of any quarterback in the NFL. Now you are going to see fireworks. I mean, is that true or is that all just complete bullshit? That is what I'm interested in seeing. Plus the Zach Robinson factor. The Zach Robinson fact. I don't know. He's still in we the We need coach. to give him some credit, by the way. Yeah. He had one of the most ridiculous player comps I've ever heard about anybody in NFL history. When Patrick Mahomes is coming out, Zach, out of the blue, says, this guy reminds me of Sammy Baugh. And everyone's like, what the heck? What are you talking about? Sammy Baugh played football in like the 1940s or whatever it was. How are you even aware of what Sammy Baugh played the game like, let alone being able to translate it to this texas tech lunatic who's playing completely outside of structure he might have been dead on right when i i i've been saying for a while now that at some point patrick mahomes is going to bring out a behind the back pass and it's probably going to be on one of those goal line shovel pass you know misdirection plays that the chiefs run a ton of and they in practice they had a little clip of one was a little underarm one one was some kind of weird shovel Good thing passing stats and then the other one was a behind the back one i was yeah. like he is going to do it at some point somebody pulled up a clip of sammy ball throwing a behind the back pass to get out of pressure like there's a lineman all over him a guy about to sack him and he just like flings one out the back door to a running back i also want to without naming names one of zach's other not comps not the comp you're thinking of but the uh the take that he had on he had a lot he has a lot of great reasons for liking or disliking players but he was out with a quarterback prospect at Uh one point or saw him out at dinner and said he's a two phone guy i'm out (laughs) and uh he may have been right just by judging how many uh cell phones were out on the table i mean look sometimes you don't need a lot sometimes sometimes one yeah sometimes you all you need is one data point sometimes you just know about their uh their future um so for the rams Anytime Deshaun Jackson's on the depth chart, I mean, I am, I am fired up. Even the, the two weeks that Deshaun Jackson plays, this is the most explosive offense in the NFL. <laughs> uh, uh, but when you, when you construct an offense with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, who are great at getting open, combined with McVay, who's great at getting them open, 
Deshaun Jackson as a deep threat if he could stay on the field. And then Van Jefferson and Tutu Atwell, maybe as their four and five. It's a nice little group. And the offensive line got back on track last year. Whitworth is back. Uh, of course, he was on the show a few weeks ago. If you want to hear from Andrew Whitworth, Rob Havenstein bounced back at right tackle. The big question besides Stafford is going to be Bobby Evans projected to start at right guard. Hasn't played football well in his two years yet. Um, but every, but again, everything around him is pretty good. Austin Corbett at center, David Edwards at left guard. Those guys have continued to progress. Last year at this time, we said we need, they need the young guys to progress for the most part. They had a couple of them do that. So it looks like just a good solid unit all around. Cam Akers out for the season at running back. That leaves Daryl Henderson as the as the bell cow there. To, you know, a big play guy, but we'll see what he has from a consistency down to down standpoint and that offensive line is going to be key to whether they still have that running game because whoever it is whether it's daryl henderson you know the guys on the bank xavier jones has been getting hype raymond calais has got some insane college numbers jake funk you know whoever it is carrying the ball they're going to need some holes open for them when that with that offensive line so my big question besides the stafford thing let's just wrap up stafford again and the high level stuff we've talked about in depth talented quarterback right everybody the nfl loves his arm talent and all that stuff i say every single year there are there are he looks like mahomes sometimes with his no look stuff and the the things that stafford can do with the ball are fantastic bottom line is i think mcveigh just wanted somebody who can win outside of structure when things don't when things aren't there golf was a very much very much a structure based player stafford's not mahomes or wilson outside the pocket but he's got some creativity to his game um that's the bottom line that should elevate their quarterback position but is it enough golf was a paint by numbers quarterback Ooh, right there you go golf it's like if you you tell me how to do it and give me the number and the paintbrush that corresponds to that number i will paint you the picture stafford is capable of actually going out there and you know creating a picture from nothing in theory now the question is is he good enough to do that across the board at all times and and the picture be good which we haven't necessarily seen at any point in his career. Like his his capability is up there with the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He is capable of doing everything that Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, et cetera, are doing. The difference between them and him is how often he does them and what happens in between. Can that change within the Rams environment? Now, my question on the defensive side of the ball, how much was Brandon Staley, who's gone? How much was John Johnson, one of the best safeties in the league? Troy Hill, who had an excellent season. The Rams had the number one defense in the NFL last year in EPA per, per play allowed. And it wasn't all that close. The difference between the Rams and the Steelers, who ranked second, was the same difference as the Steelers and the number uh, five-place team, the Ravens. The sixth-place team, the Ravens. That's how close it was. So... Uh, that's how wide the gap was for the Rams. They did not, they allowed like six deep passes last year. How can they even sustain that? Are they even trying to run the same scheme? It's Raheem Morris taking over. That's not really his system. Um, what are they going to do defensively? Because uh, the over under for them is 10 and a half. Um, I think that's down a little bit. It was 11 early in the season. DraftKings has it at 10 and a half. I was starting to get out on the Rams because I think the hype was getting too out of control because people just looked at, well, it's the best defense in the league. They add Matthew Stafford. Super Bowl or bust, baby, and I just don't know if that's the case for the Rams. Yeah, they're they're a classic example of the logic being that we get better at the places we were weak, and the good things stay the same year to year. Right, is, which is the the mistake everybody falls into. Right, it's like oh, we fixed these four things that were bad last year, and the things that were good will stay good. 
which isn't the way the world works. Like generally speaking, <laughs> there's fluctuation, all of this sort of stuff. So if you were great at one thing last year, you're probably not going to be great at it the second year in a row. It's just not how the, the football functions. Yeah, I would anticipate that defense taking a pretty big step backwards. Um, they lost the coach that was making it work. They also lost a couple of important players in the secondary. Um, okay, they might be able to replace those, and they weren't the two most important players in the secondary. Um, Jalen Ramsey, number one. I think you could argue that Darius Williams is number two. So if those two continue to have really good seasons, they're still fine. But it's not going to be what it was a year ago. So this is, again, what makes the Matthew Stafford stuff interesting is not only does he need to be everything Jared Goff wasn't, but he also needs to be able to offset whatever regression you're going to see from the defense, which is a lot to ask, like in totality. It's all right. My guy Terrell Burgess comes back off an of injury. He was a rookie last year. He could play a little bit in the slot, play some safety. Oh, well, then it's all fixed. Then it's all good. Taylor, But there's there's pressure on Taylor Rapp and Jordan Fuller, who had a really nice rookie season, but those guys as the starting safeties. Uh, who's the third corner? David Long. So they move Jalen Ramsey in and out. Sometimes they'll match him up. So that puts pressure on the third corner. He's got to do something. He's got to be out there. Um, not having Troy Hill in that spot this year puts a little pressure on. Is it David Long? Is it Burgess? Depending on how the matchups go. Um, a couple other options. Rookie uh, Robert Rochelle. I mean, they, but guys that just haven't haven't played a ton of football. So that's a question mark. Aaron Donald still a stud up front, 94 grade last year. No signs of slowing down as the best defensive player in the entire NFL. And as we've said, the Rams have done creative things, putting a little bit more pressure on their defensive line to stop the run and their linebackers. They've also not really invested heavily in linebackers, purposely just kind of saying, hey, we know it's the least valuable position on the defense. Let's just you know, try linebackers. Micah Kaiser and Kenny Young. And they draft Ernest Jones out there, who's been a pretty good run defender in the, in the SEC. The other big move that they made was re-signing Leonard Floyd. Career-high sack total, not a career-high pass rush grade. We've also beat that drum uh, a ton this offseason. Leonard Floyd was not an elite pass rusher last year, but he had elite stats in production in part due to Aaron Donald in his push from the from the inside. I love Leonard Floyd. I think he's a good solid player, but he's a solid high 60s, 70 type of PFF grade player, which you can get with your flash 25, 25% off deal. Um so I think it's going to be a good, solid defense. But just like the Bears in 2018, just like the whoever the best de- – was the Steelers? Were they the best defense in 2019? Whoever they were, 49ers. Like, they all have to take a bit of a step back, which in turn, as you said, puts more pressure on the offense. Mm-hmm. What's the best-case scenario here for the Rams? It all works. Yeah, the best-case scenario is that all the crap that's been spouted about Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay together is true. And this goes back to being the best offense in the NFL – uh, and the defense is certainly good enough to make to complement that, and they're a legit Super Bowl contender. They're like they're in the NFC Championship game. Um, we've said many times on the show we we isolate the player when we grade them. It doesn't mean that the grade is completely one hundred percent dependent on the player. If Matthew Stafford has more open throws and other things happen, if he if he is in a favorable system, he will have a chance to grade a little bit higher this year. It, he's never graded above eighty four in his career. Good solid grade. He's, but but he, he's at best been a low 80s guy. Can he get up to 90 this year? Can Stafford get to 90 in this system with these receivers and with, with McVay? Uh, I mean, he can. If he but... does that, then they're, I think, then they're in the Super Bowl conversation. Yes. Can he? Yes. Will he? No. All right. I wouldn't be that surprised, but I do think ultimately he ends up as a low 80s player like he has been. And it's a good, efficient offense. Pressure's on the defense that takes a step back. I'm going under on the 10.5. 
Where are you going with the under Rams? with ten and a half? I'm going under. I was going to go under eleven. I'm going to go oh, ten and a half. Doesn't look that bad anymore. <laughs> I'm just going off all my preseason takes. Now the market's moved here on the Rams. I would go over. I would not bet on. I just wouldn't bet on it. It can go either way. Okay. Over is plus one hundred five. Yeah, I'm going to go over. I think I, there's something to the concept that Jared Goff was holding back this offense, given how it had, how things had. Right, I'm, going, I'm going over for every team in the NFC West. I don't care. I'm going <laughs> over for the Rams too. They're all going over. They're just going to dominate the league. Okay. But I would have gone under 11. Yes. How's that? Fair. Good hedge? Yeah, sure. Let's wrap it up. San Francisco 49ers reset it. Biggest question mark, of course, is Trey Lance. When do we see him and how good is he? Yeah. Right. When does he get on the field? Which, frankly, should be now. Like, just stop delaying this. This is, There's no purpose in this. Um, people are complaining because I was like, oh, what you're, you're, you're reacting to one throw in training camp. I was like, I was saying from the draft he should be starting week one. There's no purpose. You think he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo right now? I think the, I think you, I think the offense is better with him in there right now. Whether or not he is better is a slightly different question. And for perspective, Jimmy Garoppolo, 77.3 grade in 2019. That was the Super Bowl year. He was 13th, 13th grade among quarterbacks, and they had a top four most efficient offense. That difference there is the, that's the Shanahan factor that we always talk about. Yeah. You can have the 13th best quarterback and the fourth most efficient offense. That is a massive win for the play caller offensive coordinator. The other thing to think about is, okay, you if you're the 49ers – you want to be contending for a Super Bowl again this year, right? Yeah. So in theory, you're like, it's not so much about which one of these guys gives us the best chance to win a random game in abstract terms somewhere in the course of this season. It's can we make the playoffs with either one of these quarterbacks playing 17 games for us? And then if we do make the playoffs, which one of them gives us a better chance to win in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl? I think... Jimmy Garoppolo might give you a better chance to win four meaningless games in September. But if you're playing Trey Lance, I think it's useful for him to have played those four games and have more experience under his belt by the time you roll into January. Now, Shanahan was careful with that. He said, well, Trey Lance will play. And he's like, oh, you're running to Twitter saying he's the starter or whatever it is. He was hinting at Garoppolo's going to start and Trey Lance, we're going to mix him in, mix yeah. him up and all that stuff. I don't hate that as a strategy. I don't know what that gives you, though. I don't know that Trey Lance playing in a Taysom Hill package until you actually make the call and put him in as a starter. I don't know that that helps him. It gives you the same thing the Bears are doing with Justin Fields. It gives you the same thing the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. Just more time to... But why why is the time a good thing? Why is the time helping? To me, the time is only... You would think mastery of your playbook and your system is going to be better October 1st than it is September 1st, right? You would think... But that's going to happen whether he's playing or not. Yes, but if you're talking about... So it's only a problem if you think he's holding you back from winning games or hurting himself by being out there. Or you're just making the comparison. If Jimmy... Like, right now, in August, Jimmy Garoppolo is a little bit better than Trey Lance. Let's say this is your assessment. Uh And 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 that's... Jimmy Garoppolo is going to stay the same, of course, and Trey Lance will continue to get better. And where they intersect is, like, theoretically where Trey Lance takes over. There is a world where you could say, well, for the first four weeks of the season or whatever that time period is... Jimmy Garoppolo, with his experience, past success, is a better quarterback than Trey Lance. Then there will be a point where Trey Lance will t- advance within the system or but, in his game or understanding where you feel like, okay, now it's time for him to But the take complicating over. factor is that the offense should 
have a whole layer of extra trickery and Agreed. rushing threat with Trey Lance as a quarterback that isn't there with Jimmy Garoppolo. But as a you might be able. To, but I'm saying you could tap into the best of both worlds. Whether you use Trey Lance in the red zone, a couple series yeah, here the, and there. But the reason the offense will be so potentially special with Lance there is because Shanahan has had like a decade to work on what this looks like as one cohesive, unified whole. Right back with RG three, it was already pretty special but it was quite divided in terms of the separation between the run game and the pass game. The way the league has gone in the last 10 years with RPOs and all these kinds of things, and there, there has been a much more um, blending of the run game and the pass game anyway, just organically. Now you bring in a quarterback that can take advantage of that, and suddenly, if you're a defense, everything looks the same, everything is a nightmare, and you're threatened by three different things on every single play. That isn't there when Jimmy Garoppolo is your quarterback. Agreed. So this offense has the potential to be absolutely devastating with one guy at quarterback and not the other guy. It can be really good with Garoppolo at quarterback, too. Let me just say, the offensive line, Trent Williams, he was the number one rated tackle last year. Mike McGlinchey, one of the best run-blocking tackles in the league. That's a good duo. Alex Mack, even late in his career, has always played well in the Shanahan scheme. Should be a good offensive line. The playmakers, we had we didn't get to see this group last year. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. We hardly got to see them last year altogether. We're talking yak monsters. Difficult to cover, all three of them. Um, I've seen um, Brett Coleman. Did you see him make a Brandon Ayuk, Devontae Adams comparison? He said, end of this year, we're going to be talking about Brandon Ayuk the way we talk about Devontae Adams. There are people around the league, plus Brett Coleman, who love Brandon Ayuk that much. If that is the case... Whether it's Garoppolo or Trey Lance under center, it is a very dangerous offense, plus Shanahan scheming these dudes open. Yeah, I mean, I do think Brandon Ayuk has pretty special potential. And then Debo Samuel already is pretty special in a, com in a com not a completely different role. I mean, they've both been yards after the catch monsters, but in theory, if Ayuk develops the way he should and Debo sort of maintains that role of being the underneath yards after the catch guy, they, I think, fit together. They're not, the, they're not uh, redundant. The two biggest things I want to see about from Trey Lance, how much does Shanahan tap into his rushing ability? I, I, just, I just made the big assumption that he's going to, right? I assumed QB run game, different way to keep defenses off balance. How are you going to cover every inch of the field with Trey Lance as a potential runner? And then he probably has 800 to 1,000-yard rushing ability if the Niners choose to, to go that way. He's that good as a runner. So I want to see how much they do that. The second thing is, last few years, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, not the greatest, most accurate college quarterbacks. We see, we saw both of those, that particular trait improve for both guys after years of assuming, not assuming, but you know, not seeing a whole bunch of guys improve their accuracy. Seeing the Jake Lockers and Blaine Gabberts of the world never really get better. You don't draft a, you know, project accuracy guy guy that oh, will just teach accuracy at the nfl level well we've got two guys who have gotten better in that re in that regard especially Allen. lamar has the added ability of maybe his maybe his run game opens up some some passes for him what happens with trey lance because his accuracy just from a charting perspective just from a throw per th throw for throw perspective is among the worst we've seen among first round quarterbacks among the guys drafted high trey lance is, is near the bottom so does that get better or like a Lamar, does and that this, get mitigated because guys are open and it doesn't really matter if you hit him on the front number. Even though we're in San Francisco where Bill Walsh, you know. And this is that. different to just completion rate, which is actually pretty good for him. 
Yeah, yeah. Completion retarding. percentages. I'm right. talking no, no, I know. I'm accuracy just and catchable pass making percentage. Making sure we sort of make yes. that distinction because if you just looked at his completion rate, it isn't like a Josh Allen. It, it just, it's not an obvious red flag just sure. looking at the, bo- the box score numbers. Right. Allen had a bad completion percentage, which also has improved, obviously. Trey Lance has fine. Completion percentage is fine. His, the ball location has not been great. Will that matter? Will he get better at it or will it be masked by the offense? Right. Um, defensively, the big question mark comes back to the secondary, right? Sherman's gone or not there at the moment. Uh, Jason Verrett comes back after you know his one good year since 2015. Can he stay healthy? Emmanuel Mosley has shown flashes throughout the years, right? As this you know bigger corner that they, that looked like a good find for the Niners, but the consistency hasn't necessarily been there. I'm looking at the back seven as the big question for the Niners. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. And also, what does the defense look like now in a post Robert Sala world? Like, how sure. do they how do they transition away from a coach that's been doing a fantastic job with that group? They were sixth um, last year in EPA per play. By the way, did that did that kind of fly under the radar? Just probably, because yeah. They, they weren't winning games, right? I mean, he Robert Sala did a fantastic. There's a reason he was one of the most coveted head coaching candidates out there. He did a fantastic job with the 49ers defense for a number of seasons now. Um, so, how do they? cope with transitioning away from that and being able to pick up that slack also can that defensive front you know stay good because they're uh, javon kinlaw has been battling knee injuries which was something that people were scared about for him uh, as a draft prospect they remember they effectively traded away to buckner and then replaced him with javon kinlaw so they got a little bit cheaper but it cost them the first round pick essentially it was like a like-for-like replacement you you assume the risk, but you get cheaper. Now the risk isn't paying off for them yet. Um, does it this year, or is that going to be essentially looked back on as a mistake? Crazy stat to highlight here too: two teams finished in the top ten in EPA per play allowed. Again, the mo- the best way to just assess a defense and their efficiency. Two teams finished in the top ten, but had a pass rush grade in the twenties. It was the Ravens and the Niners. So the Ravens finished twenty fifth in pass rush grade. So that's how well their pass rushers are winning one-on-ones and getting to the quarterback and finishing plays. Niners ranked 29th in part because Nick Bosa, well, you mentioned, you lose to Forrest Buckner, you lose Nick Bosa, essentially, from this incredible front four. You're not rushing the passer. But to still have an efficient defense, that speaks to what your back seven's doing. It speaks to what your defensive coordinator's doing. You lose a Sherman, you lose a Sala. That is going to be difficult. Uh, Well, Sherman wasn't even there most of the year last year. Sorry. But... um, Salah is the big replacement, I think, that we're going to be trying to to see how big that impact was. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, Nick Bosa, I think, coming back should be a, a difference maker to that statistic on his own. Yeah, they'll rush the passer much better if he's healthy. Fred Warner, the do-it-all linebacker. Uh, once again, the three linebackers that have been re-signed to market resetting deals. Fred Warner, Bob, Bobby Wagner a few years ago, and uh, Darius Leonard, all those guys, zone-heavy schemes, where the pressure is on them to make plays, have great range, make good decisions. And uh, Fred Warner has been that guy. Emerged last year as uh, one of the best all-around linebackers in the NFL. Yeah, Kenny backed that season up. It was so good last season to the point of being like questionable outlier. He, he had the kind of – he had a defensive season the same as Josh Allen had on offense. They both took this massive step forward. Toolsy guys. Toolsy guys. And it fit the timeline of what you expect in terms of like third year breakout, right? But it, it, so it fits a neat pattern. On the other hand, it was such a good year that you almost have to expect some kind of regression. Now, their over under has now, it, it's now the same as the Rams, 10 and a half on DraftKings. This is the one where I might lean under. 
No. Over. You're staying over on any on everybody. Uh, have I been everybody? Who is no? I went under you, with Seattle. You were so under Seattle, Seattle. going to be so far under that everybody else can be over. <laughs> I was over on all three that I think I have to go under on the Niners <laughs> because I look I I I buy into all of what you're saying with Trey Lance and I think the rushing attack and all that stuff. He still is the biggest question mark out of those first round quarterbacks, right? No. I think he is just because we saw him for 319 snaps. Nope. He is, at minimum, the third biggest question mark on the, of those quarterbacks. Who's biggest? Mac Jones, Justin Fields? Yes. Okay. Because I don't – so Mac Jones, because, you know, accurate and can't move. Is that a problem in today's NFL? Yeah. Uh, and Justin Fields, because I think the concerns about him in terms of holding onto the ball too long – the, the way he plays the game, I think they were real, and I don't think he'll be helped out schematically the same way that Trey Lance will. Like he's not going to have an offense built for him the way that Trey Lance is. Yeah, I get and it. And I think that matters. I'm trying to separate the quarterback from the scheme. Trey Lance, we've said since he was drafted, this is the best situation for any rookie quarterback. But it's still, but it was the best situation. Like Nick Mullins had one of the best situations in the league when he was playing in this offense, as did C.J. Beathard. It didn't yeah. mean it was good. For the 49ers. No, but Nick Mullins was averaging like eight yards per attempt in the 49ers offense. He wasn't, I understand. I understand. But they moved. They didn't run with Nick <laughs> Mullins as the starter. Yeah, because Nick Mullins is a bad quarterback. For a reason. So I think, yeah, Trey Lance still. So I'm going under because I think there's still question marks about Garoppolo. You know, his efficiency and health, if he's the guy or if it's Trey Lance taking over. Okay. And you're staying. You're going over. Yeah. Bullish. On the Look, entire I, NFC West. They need to put Trey Lance in the starting lineup and just reap the benefits. I love the NFC West. Well, that's it, man. We did. That was good and efficient, wasn't it? Exactly two hours. Sure. It was more efficient than last show. Yes. We're getting better. Now, we do this. This is These are our most popular shows in the preseason. The most popular shows. We give every team a little bit of love. Even if we say that they're going to go under their win total, we really believe they're going to go over because we love your team. It's August, and every team's winning the Super Bowl. But we appreciate all of our listeners. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, feel free to spread the word. Tell the people that this is the best NFL podcast out there. Mm. Okay? Because it is. Do that. We were ranked number one. Yeah. Congrats on number one on the uh, the random ranking there. Right. You too. Yeah. We don't celebrate, though. We go, have to uh, go subscribe to the Daily, though. and make that number two. Yeah, we, let's get the daily to number two. two. Your goal is to go get the PFF daily to the number two NFL podcast behind the PFF NFL podcast. Um, and again, if you guys send in those screenshots, I will pull some winners. Not getting a lot of screenshots. Let us know that you are subscribed to the daily and the PFF NFL podcast. And the next charity drive will hopefully start at some point this week. As soon Might as involve. GoFundMe allows us to actually do things. Working through the GoFundMe. I got a place. We have a place. We're going to support women uh, recovering from addiction. And we will do another fundraiser, and I might have a Josh Allen, just a jersey, right? Josh Allen jersey? Sure. Okay. Um, might be an apology letter involved. We'll see. Hmm. Maybe a table involved. Who knows? Uh, my back's just getting back to normal. I don't <laughs> want to crack that thing out of place. My chiropractor won't be uh, too happy about that. I, maybe that'll put it right back into alignment. I'll ask him. Like, if I jump through the table, like, how many more weeks? But uh, He'll love it. You know, good business for yeah, a couple yeah. weeks. So, uh, anyway, that's it. The West is done. We'll be back with either the North or the South on Thursday. Don't forget, flash sale. Flash, flash, flash. Flash 25. Flash 25. 25% off your PFF subscriptions. See you guys on Thursday. <laughs>